I always ask my guests if they have any regrets. I personally don't have any regrets. Even when it comes to my tattoos, I have the silliest tattoos. Even my ET on my leg, it's still a childhood memory for me, and I love it. I've had tattoos on top of tattoos strictly because I wanted more tattoos. I started getting tattoos when I was 18. I'm 52 now, and I can't stop. I've had lazy treatment before on something on my arm. It's four tattoos on top of each other. And that experience at that place was pretty fast. It was pretty cold. It was in and out, swiped the credit card. Don't really tell me much. Didn't give me much details or anything was going to happen. So I never went back. So as of most recently, I'm so lucky enough to have had two sessions at Removery Tattoo Removal. My tattoo on my arm that looks like a big black blob is now super light. I've had two sessions. I have a long road ahead of me. None of this stuff happens overnight. You cannot take a tattoo up in one sitting. You have to be patient. And it's painful. They ice you up. It's super fast. To me, it felt like a bunch of rubber bands. But what's more painful than that is looking at something on your body that you think you're stuck with for the rest of your life. That sucks. But now for me, I'm really happy I started this journey. I'm slowly going to get this tattoo removed. I never thought in a million years I have any kind of real estate on my arm. I don't even know what I want, but it's exciting. I'm so honored to announce that One Life, One Chance podcast is now with Removery. I have a code. Use TobyH20 and get $100 off your first session. Call 866-934-4570 or go to Removery.com. One of the most experienced tattoo remover companies in the world. Over 600,000 remover treatments done. 100 locations, U.S., Canada, and Australia. State-of-the-art peak-away laser technology, cryotechnology to reduce any discomfort. This is so exciting for me because all I do in these podcasts is talk about tattoos. From day one, if you've been listening to this podcast, we talk about tattoos, talk about getting removed, talk about getting covered up. So this is such a perfect fit for me. Once again, go to removery.com or call 866-934-4570. Use my code TOBYH20 and get $100 off. These guys are located everywhere. Try it out. First, before I even make an announcement, this is my first time doing a podcast at night at my house. This is exciting. Uh, welcome to the One Life, One Chance podcast. I'm your host, Toby Morse. And today I have my friend Tegan Quinn here from Tegan and Sarah sitting right across from me. Thanks for being here. Oh my God, I'm so excited. <laughs> I haven't been in this kitchen in a while. I know. I was trying to figure out what year that was that you were living downstairs for a moment. Oh, we thought about it just now. I right? think it's. I think when I was living downstairs was 2009. Okay. And how long are you living here for? When I was here? Yeah. Wasn't I think that it long, was, was it? It was about a six-month period where I was here off and on. Basically, I had made friends with Chad. That's right. And he knew I was dating someone who was living in Huntington Beach, and I was, like, putting myself up at hotels. And him and I had only met, like, three times. But he was like, you seem very legit and trustworthy, and my friends live upstairs. So cool. And if you want, you just go ahead and stay there and give me a key. And I was like, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember that. It was crazy. Yeah, you were a good tenant. Awesome. Yeah, and I had someone come clean, like, as sort of payment. And he also didn't have any pots or pans, so I really? bought like a pots and pan set, something like that. I vaguely remember happening. I was like, "This is my payment for staying here." <laughs> but um, that's awesome. Yeah, and then I, and then I moved to West Hollywood, and then Echo Park, and downtown, and then twelve years later, I left and moved back to Vancouver. Wow, which is where I'm now. Which you're now. Mm -hmm. um, well, I don't want to start because well, I started watching um, the show High School that's out right now. On Amazon, it's mm -hmm. Amazon. What is it? Amazon Freebie? What's it called? Yeah, it's it, you can down if you want to watch the show for free. You can download the app Amazon Free Freebie, but you can just go on Amazon if you have Prime. I have Prime, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And okay. you just watch there, yeah. Yeah, so I, I started watching. I watched all of it. Me and my wife watched all of it, and um, <laughs> Moon. Yeah, and I'm just wondering. I, I don't know how much I could talk about because only four episodes are out now. I was lucky enough to see all seven. Um, but it's awesome. It came about because of the book you guys released, correct? Yeah, Sarah and I wrote a memoir 
yeah. um, in 2018. It came out in 2019. It's about the 90s. It starts in 95 and ends in 98. It's basically 10th, 11th, and 12th grade. And it's about, it's basically our origin story as a band. Yeah. You know, it's when we started playing music. It's when we figured out we were gay. And um, yeah, we wrote the book and it did, it, everybody seemed to really like it. And our yeah. friend Cleo Duval, who's, you know, an actor, writer, director now, she called me we'd sent it to her for a blurb i hate that word but you know like you send your book around to people and say like will you write a blurb and yeah she called me the next morning and she said don't 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 just option this to somebody don't sell your rights this is your story you only get one chance to tell it true and uh, yes i'm also saying like i think i should be the one to do it and clean and sarah and i've been friends for a really long time she knows our family and friends really well and um and I was like, sure, why not? I mean, I didn't know how much of a reality it was. And our agent, Lindsay Howard, who's really awesome, and our book agent, Mark Gerald, we all got on a call that week and we started talking about, you know, finding a production company. And we met and took all these meetings and we ended up partnering with Brad Pitt's production company, the wow. called Plan B. And specifically, this guy, Jeremy Kleiner over there is a big music fan. And he was like, I actually like legitimately think we could get this made. And then COVID hit. And Clea and Sarah and I, you know, we developed it and Clea wrote, uh, basically wrote like an outline and then we went out and started pitching it when 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 pandemic hit and um you pitched it during the pandemic yeah over zoom wow <laughs> and because online stuff was crazy during that netflix is everything yeah. everybody's home watching stuff yeah yeah and people were like really into the pitch and people were really nice and we thought you know it's a long shot that you know um but we and en- ended up having this really great conversation with um, IMDB TV, which has now been rebranded as Amazon Freebie, and it's you know part of Amazon, owned by Amazon. And this woman, Lauren Anderson, who was running it, she was basically like wrote us this really beautiful email after the pitch and just said, "Look, you know, I think this would be a great home for you. We understand music. You're going to need a lot of budget to put the kind of mu- music you want to put in, set yeah. in the '90s." And um, you know, one of our big things was we really wanted to make it in Calgary because that's where we grew up, and yep. and. There's a really great tax break in Alberta for film and TV there. They <laughs> awesome. just shot like um, The Last of Us, like HBO's big show there. And oh, wow. Fargo and like, you know, anyway, she was like, I really think this would be a great place for you. And I was like, oh, that feels really hopeful. But I didn't think it w- still didn't wasn't sure. Yeah. And then um, we brought on another writer, this amazing woman, Laura Kittrell, who'd worked on Insecure, which is such a great show, did all five years there. And she's also a queer woman. And they started writing. And I think they... I think we had three scripts and okay. that's when we got the green light. We thought we'd have to shoot a pilot, but they were like, honestly, like it's not that expensive of a show. And by the time you shoot a pilot, you might as well have just shot the show. Yeah. And all of a sudden we were going to Calgary and shot the show. It's amazing. And that, that book was like a New York times bestseller. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. It was cool. I mean, we put a lot of time and energy into it and we did a whole tour around it and did, you know, a lot of book readings and, um, and I was kind of sad because COVID happened a few months after it came out. So we didn't, it didn't really get this, like we didn't get to tour it and talk yeah. about it as much as I hoped. And so I'm really hoping the show, people watch the show. Well, the first season ends on a cliffhanger. So okay. I'm hoping people are like, what yeah. happens? And, and then they get the book. And we read the audio book and it's like, you can hear all our demos from when we were in high school. Wow. And um, anyway, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, how much of, of, of the high school show is true to your life? Like Patrick getting your first, you used his guitar and then he, they got you a new guitar and just Yeah. <laughs> How much of it? Well, it's a good question. I mean, it's interesting. Like even the book, by the time you do like three legal reads, you know, mm-hmm. in different countries and you change details and you protect yeah. people's identities, even by the end of the book writing process, I was like, who the 
fuck are these people? Are we allowed to swear? Yeah. yeah because this like, percentage of stuff is like based on a true story, right? There's only a certain percent they say that those shows is based on a true story. Yeah, but that's inspired only, by or adapted to yeah. by. Like it's, it's, it's sort of one of those things, but even the book, like even in my own words, you have to change things to protect people's identities. Like true. I, my big dad joke is like memoir is memoir. You know, it's my yeah. story, my perspective, my, you can't fill, if I'm writing our story, if I'm writing a story about meeting you, I can yep. talk about how I felt about you, but I can't say how Toby felt about teaching, you know? And so good point. the TV show, it starts with what the essence of our story is and it starts with what we felt and, and mm-hmm. but then Laura and Clea, you know, they fill in the gaps, right? Like every yeah. episode is, is divided in two and so you get two different person's perspectives the whole show. So okay. you have Sarah and I, of course, in one episode, each of our perspectives, but then you see my mom's perspective and you see the, my dad and my stepdad and the girls were interested in like, you know, so every year you have to fill in details and that starts to fictionalize the okay. story, right? Because, yeah. cause these people are not actually, you know, getting to tell their story. So I think it's the essence of what happened to us, but you have to make certain choices. Like for example, Tegan and Sarah start high school in a new school with no friends. That's not what happened. Okay. But the reason why Clea chose that, like why that device works in this case is because Sarah and I were so dis- distant from one another when we started yeah, high school. I never knew that to this. Yeah. yeah. Like we're like 15. We're just like hormones are raging, you know, like Sarah's having a secret relationship with our best friend. And so they were like pushing me out and like, and that's so all real. Yeah. yeah. That was all real. And so wow. to capture that, like capture that intense disconnect and that intense friction, Clea was like, I, you guys have to be at a new school with no friends and you have to feel the isolation you felt because for you that isolation and that being you know pushed away from one another because of what was going on for Sarah like that has to be palpable when someone's watching and if you guys yeah. just have like a bunch of friends it will be way harder to show that so there's stuff like that that's like super cool like what an amazing experience to be able to watch a TV show be made be a part of it you know we were involved in everything from casting to choosing the music supervisors and like you know part of editing and the scripts like we we got to watch the whole thing happen it's like wow it's a lot yeah. of work and yeah. and there's certain choices you have to make and yeah so the story ends up starting to feel more and more fiction and when my parents saw it I was like trust me you're going to like the show because you're not going to be like, that's me. You won't feel that way. This is not a biopic. No one's pretending. Yeah. And copying mannerisms. And, you know, it's just, it's the essence. Yeah. Your mom seems so open-minded, though, about you guys growing up and just yeah. who you were and who you yeah. wanted to be and supportive and stuff. Yeah, she was. I think so. But it was still like, you know, like she was 21 when she had us, you know. So when we started high school, she was 36 or 37. I'm mm. 42. Okay. Like I can barely take care of my dog. <laughs> yeah. So to have teenagers and go back True. to university, like my mom was a badass. Like she, and she, she was, seemed a, like it. she was cool, but she was also young and unstable at times. The show is a very, very okay. lovely, lovely depiction <laughs> of our lives. You know, we were young. We were yeah. all like screaming at each other and crazed, but Kobe Smulders, who plays our mom on the show is an absolute gem. She's, she's amazing. She's amazing on the show, but she's just like the nicest human being ever. Also Canadian. And, um, and she does a very beautiful job of bringing, I think what the essence of my mom was, but, yeah. but I was like, don't worry mom, you're not going to watch it and feel like someone's goofing on you. Like she, she's not going to yeah. be like pretending to be you. She's like her own thing, but all the great things about my mom, they're all there. And so did Patrick really like disrespect Kurt Cobain like that? <laughs> yeah. Him and I had a huge fight. Wow. His name's actually Bruce, um, our stepdad. He, um, yeah, I mean, like we couldn't we couldn't clear the rights, but like the real story, and I write about it in the book. Was you know, I was just like so fucking angry yeah, when I was a too. teenager. Yeah, and and I would come home from school, you know, be I was a total burnout, you know, and um and just like blast the loudest, most annoying, grating music just to annoy everyone in the house. And yeah. my stepdad really took care of us in the evenings because my mom worked nights, and 
And uh, yeah, one night he came up and he's like, I'm gonna take your fucking door off if you don't stop playing. I was playing Rape Me by Nirvana over wow. and over again just to annoy him. And yeah. um, yeah, and somewhere in that, like, you know, I'd, my whole room was just covered in pictures of Kurt Cobain and, you know, there's very famous images of him wearing eyeliner and like, you know. Yeah, and, I remember those, yeah. You know, kissing Michael Stipe and yeah, he just, you know, casually threw out the F word, faggot. And, um, you know, he was a... 36 year old construction worker who'd grown up in like on the wrong side of the tracks you know yeah. not educated he's a f- amazing dad and an amazing guy and the story i tell in the book is that we raged at each other because i was like you can't say that word and like yeah. just freaked out because ultimately i was saying you can't call him that because that's what we are like mm-hmm. we're gay and but i didn't know that yet really and i didn't understand it and he him and i we yelled at each other he'd come into our life when we were seven He's a big guy. He's like six foot four hockey player. Like I said, he worked at when my mom met him, he worked at the steel mill and my mom, you know, all of my parents grew up in like rough houses, you know, with like rough parents, rough dads, you know, and my mom, when he started dating her was like, this is a package deal. And if you ever raise your voice at my kids, if you ever do anything out of line, you'll never step foot in this house ever again. So Bruce was like an amazing dad. And also we took, we took advantage of him (laughs) because he was not allowed to yell at us. He was not allowed to like lay a hand on us. You know what I mean? So it's like, we could manipulate the shit out of him. We (laughs) stole from him. We stole money from him every day. Like we were horrible. We used to hide his like remote controls, like for his television. Yeah. Cause then he would pay us to try to find them for him. Cause he thought he had lost them and we were just so (laughs) awful. But him and I, we raged for like hours. And by the end, you know, he was like, I totally understand why what I said was wrong. And we listened to MTV Unplugged, like the Nirvana Unplugged together that night. Oh, that's nice. Because he loved music. We had framed photos of Bruce Springsteen in our house. Uh-huh. And I was like, Kirk Cobain's amazing and he's an incredible songwriter. And we listened to the record together. And the next day when we got home, he'd gone and he bought me, I can't remember what, some you know bootleg of Nirvana and was like apologetic. And wow. the reason why I put the story in the book was because I did want to show like there was homophobia when we were growing up in the oh, 90s. Sure. And so they repurposed that story for the show, but it's Sarah and my stepdad who end up having this um, confrontation on the construction site, you know, and like this whole <laughs> thing and like whatever. But it's like, again, was super important to put it in the show because I think, you know, the whole point of telling the story is about like sometimes the people, people like me in the position I'm in, you see me now, but like what made me who I am? Totally. And why is that important? Well, I think it's important because I'm a woman and I'm queer and I'm a creative and we never see that on TV. Correct. But also like... You know, I've, I'm not perfect. I've made tons of mistakes. I was a total dirtbag, you know, and, and we wanted to show that. And we wanted to show the people that inspired us and raised yeah. us. And so, you know, you have to do, you do have to pull out some of these stories that are uncomfortable. But, you know, our stepdad gave us his blessing. You know, he's a wonderful guy. He's amazing. Yeah. My Don't you his guitar? Yeah, well, we stole, first we stole it. I mean, we, <laughs> you know, he was hiding in the basement. He'd stopped playing guitar. He was like obsessed, like I said, with Bruce Springsteen. And he <laughs> had bought this guitar in his 20s and then never played it. And so they caught us, you know, like like that you see it in the show. And mm-hmm. But then, like, for him, like, he was such a music lover. He's still like this to this day. It's like, it's like he lives vicariously through us in a way because he never became the, a musician, but he loves music so much. Yeah, but he's so proud. Yeah, so he was just like, oh, my God, this is so dope. My kids play music. This is so cool. Like, yeah. he's, like, biggest fan. He has, like, a, every single T-shirt we've ever... Wow. Anybody, he gets two because he has, like, the one he wears, and then he has the mint condition That's one. That's awesome. Yeah, it's, like, kind of weird. I mean, it's like, I'm like, okay, dude, <laughs> relax. But. but I'm sure he opened his mind to so many things. You know, any music? Just oh, yeah. Oh, my God, Toby. You have no idea. The other, like a couple years ago, you know, we started, well, like 10 years ago, we identified as queer. And that was like a word we reappropriated, right? Because it had negative connotations for a long time. Yes. But for me, it encompasses culture, right? And, and gender, too. Like, it's like, I'm, I've never been like a girly girl. 
And lesbian never felt like necessarily always the right term because it feels very gendered to me. And so we would call ourselves queer. And so I remember we were like on vacation with my stepdad. He's a big dude. Like I said, he's like 6'4", worked a construction hockey player, like I said. And he's like, yeah, I was talking about you guys with some of the guys at work. And one of them said they saw you guys in the paper and you were calling yourselves queer. And we were all like saying, isn't that like a, a word we're not supposed to say? So, you know, him and I get into this whole conversation about like, well... The word's different now, and you can say it, you know, in the right context. You can call me queer. You know, this is like a hard concept for someone in their 60s, like who was like told not to use that word, yeah, you know. Yeah. And uh, we're having this whole conversation, and I say what I just said to you, to him. I'm like, you know, for me, the word encompasses like culture. We're reappropriating it. It's about gender. It's about this. And it's like, you know, it's about the fact that like I like queer things, and I connect to queer people, and I'm, I'm left of center. I'm a bit different. I've always kind of been in the margins, and, you know, I'm doing this whole thing, and it's funny because he's like not that guy, but he identifies so much with us and, and, you know, is so influenced by us. And he's like nodding along, nodding along. And he's like, so I'm queer. And I was like, nope, I've done a bad job explaining this to you. You're <laughs> most definitely not queer. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, the Smashing Pumpkins, man, I realized how how big of an uh, inspiration they were to you guys. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, mm-hmm. also Green Day. Yeah. Which is awesome. Huge. And Rancid and yeah. Lagwagon and... You know, there was this band from Calgary Field Day and Chicks Dig It, like all these. Oh, like, Chicks Dig It, yeah. yeah. We were, I mean, punk music was really big in Calgary, so we would go to Carpenters Union Hall for like, you know, afternoon, you know, shows on Sundays, you know, and you'd go to the Food Not Bombs, people would be there, and like that was our junior high experience or middle school experience. Yeah. And, um, you know, and then alternative, you know, like music kind of became so much even bigger than that, and so then of course we became, you know. Nirvana and me had seven year it was seven year bitch in seven there year bitch and babes in Toyland was, was, and, in, in the show too yeah, yeah the soundtrack yeah breeders and yeah. pixies and violent femmes are in there I like I like that opening scene when you're uh, they're on the bed dancing off that you I forgot which one yeah it's, Sarah's Sarah's dancing for her like she's singing along to violent femmes yeah. yeah it's awesome man <laughs> yeah there's but, some good music in the show was yeah. it really a rancid like a rumor that rancid's playing a party oh yeah it used to happen all the time wow <laughs> it's a random Canada party show yeah Rancid. well you know because Calgarians desperately we were like big music city and like and yet you know nobody came there they go to yeah they go to Vancouver they'll do Toronto true and um but we had this really amazing store called the um uh the attic and it was above this store called divine decadence and that was like where you went to divine decadence to get Doc Martens and get pierced and then you go upstairs to the attic and that's where all the bootlegs from Seattle and Portland would be sold so if you wanted to like hear those like I would how I learned about all those bands was buying cassette tapes and be like oh you know Mud Honey and you know whatever Seven Year Bitch played a show together or yeah. something like that and that's how we would like discover these bands and that's cool yeah so it was like really important to us that we try to put like more obscure music in the show too and not just like the big classic iconic stuff which is also why Cleo is such a great partner on this because you know she grew up in LA she's a couple years older than us like she actually went to those shows she actually like yeah. partied with those people she knew them <laughs> yeah do you remember like your first show you went to yeah, I mean, well, as little kids, the first thing we did was we went and saw Katie Lang. She was crossing Canada on her first big tour. We were five. Wow. And she was playing malls. And we, like, left the mall, and we begged to have short hair like Katie Lang. And so we shaved our, basically shaved our heads. We had hair wow. down to our waist, and, and we had, like, basically spiky hair mullets. That's I tweeted awesome. a photo of it yesterday because I, I told them about that, and they were like, no. And I was like, oh, no, it really happened. When you were five, wow. Yeah, my mom was devastated. <laughs> But she was like, I was so tired of fighting with you guys because my dad had left. And she was like, I was alone with you and I was tired of fighting with you guys about your hair. And so I was like, fine, cut it all off. And she was like, it was wild to see Sarah went first. And my mom and I like held Sarah's hands. Like we were like, there's photos of the whole experience. Wow. And you can just see like when when the first haircut was done, 
you could see that little queer kid, you know, is finally feels like secure. Like you can see in Sarah's face and the way I'm, I'm not looking at the camera, I'm looking at Sarah and my hair is still long. Yeah. It's actually kind of like a heartbreaking photo because you can just see we're about to become who we feel comfortable. But then you're systematically that's eroded because then you get teased for being a tomboy and you don't look like other girls and like, you know, there's all that stuff that happens next. But for like that blip of time, we were like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that you're five when you cut yeah, so, like, Yeah. Wow. And so, and so we saw Katie Lang, but the first concert concert we went to was um, new kids on the block. When we were eight. What? That's amazing. Yeah. And then Bruce Springsteen when we were 11. Wow. Yeah. Those are great ones. Yeah. New kids on the block. Wow. It's it blew our minds. We were like, <laughs> my dad tried to get tickets and they got sold out and he was really devastated. And then his boss, he worked at this home building company. His his boss had box seats. And they said, you know, we'll take the girls and they can each bring a friend. And I'll never forget, like, we were so poor and trashy. And, like, she picked us up in a, in a uh, uh, what the heck is it called? Uh, a, a Lexus. And I remember getting in the car and, like, there were leather seats and there was, like, so many lights, like, you know, and she was wearing a fur coat. Wow. And I felt, remember it actually kind of tainted the experience in a weird way because I was really scared to be with someone I didn't know. And Yeah. Like, like they didn't, it's weird that they didn't invite our parents to come with us. But, yeah, um, it was weird. But I'll never forget the feeling when New Kids on the Block came out on stage and I was like, they're real. Like, it's such a weird feeling because now we see famous people all the time on yeah. social media and on yeah. Instagram Live and, like, you're like in the bathroom with every celebrity you've ever enjoyed. You know so what I mean? So true. But then when you're eight years old, you just know of New Kids on the Block. They're in a magazine and all of a sudden they walk out on stage. They were so tiny. We probably couldn't even make out their faces and we wept. Wept, which I, I, I feel as a musician, that's why I really respect my audience. I never patronize or speak down to them, even when they're really emotional and yeah. wild. Because I'm like, I know. It's weird, right? Like It is crazy, man. I'm a real person. I'm right here in front of you. How weird. <laughs> There's something about what you just said is like, the mysteriousness of like seeing a live musician that you can't see eating a piece of pizza on social media or know that they're it's ruined everything. Like they just posted like some flower. I, I don't know, just whatever. It's like just like seeing them in real life is just so. I don't know. There's something about that I miss a lot. Mm-hmm. You don't see, you, know, you don't know every move or every artist that you like. Yeah, well, we've lost the mystery. Not for everybody. Like some people really keep it keep it close to the chest still, but uh, there, there's but not many though. No, and and I'll be honest. I don't feel like I ever had an option to really like play it close to my chat. Like as soon as social media came along, it was like, or websites came along. It was like, that's the only way we could promote ourselves. Totally. So we had to do it. hundred percent. Like it would be a luxury. I remember Sarah went through a whole phase during 2009 to 2011. We had so many fights cause she wanted to wipe our social media cause she didn't like Facebook when it first mm-hmm. came out. And we still don't, we don't run our Facebook page. We just create content and our managers post it. Cause I don't yeah. want to go there, but it's like, we understood why we needed to do it. I still do to this day, but we both, we were also sad. Like we were like, Oh God, do we have to like literally post all the time? And there's that, that curated, everything's perfect. Look how big my audience is. And it's all trickery. And I know, man. I actually really love be real. Are you on that new social media? Be real. Is that real? It's real. Cause I saw it, you saw it on SNL, right? Yes. It's real. And I thought it was so cool. And my wife said, that's not real. I'm like, that is amazing. Oh, Toby, it's real. And I kind of love it. Cause you have, you, you just have to post and it's up for 24 hours and people can see how many times you took the photo before you posted. You can see if someone screenshots like it's like, oh my God, I kind of love it. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Some people are like, it's the next TikTok, And I'm like, no, it's not. But, but I, I, I think it's why I like TikTok and why I like be real. Like I, it's why sometimes I still like Twitter because you just have to put up a thought. Like my photos don't like, you know, content doesn't really do well there for us. It's like, if I'm just like, God, Sarah's annoying. It's like a thousand likes. And I'm like, <laughs> 
you know? <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, Twitter's a weird place, man. I know, it's hateful, it's awful. It but, is. It's really know. political and really judgmental. and It's worth, we don't ne- need to know what everyone thinks. And it's crazy that we, one thing that Dave Chappelle said last year, he said, I heard that they were talking about me on Twitter, and he said, uh, thankfully, Twitter's not a real place. Like, the fact that, like, that's why I love doing the pod where face-to-face we're talking mm. and having, like, real conversations, like, all the stuff online, I get it. It's good for promoting our brand, the podcast, your music, anything you're doing sure. in life, you know. But other than that, it's just it's so much negativity and it's just a cesspool of like, you could be on there for hours just like going down a rabbit hole of like, I don't know, just. Yeah. It is tough. I, I I hear you. It's like, well, it's so cliche, but you know, you hit a certain age too where you're like, oh, wait, what they told us is true. None of this matters. Yes. And so then you start thinking like, what does matter? And that's like been the last couple of years for me. I mean, that's our whole new record is me being like, what matters? Mm. Like what, what's important? Yeah. What's important? Like, I'll tell you what, my legacy is not going to be my albums or like how many tickets I sold and how fast, like it's going to be like, was I a good friend? Am I a good daughter, family member? Yeah. Person, like everything. person, yeah. like what, what? And, and then literally it doesn't matter if I am the best person on mm-hmm. earth. My legacy will be over the, like, not too long after I die because people move the fuck on. And so your time here is precious and really is and, precious. and what you contribute hour to hour and day to day is really important. And you know, yeah. So I start to think like, yeah, so maybe social media is not getting that awesome photo to post is like really not how I want to spend the next hour, I know, like, which is my only problem with TikTok because I love TikTok and I actually think it's like pretty, like pretty dope. I'm not so on there yet. I'm kind of on there, but not I really. love it. Okay. You can find anything on it. Okay. I know people are like, that's YouTube, Tegan, but I'm like, I know, but like, you know, the other day I wanted to figure out how to get an oil stain out of clothes and I just looked it up on TikTok and I'm like, what? Baking soda? And then it was gone. And I was like, this is amazing. So I, I like it, but sometimes it really does make me laugh and it's interesting and creative and it's really... This, the content that I'm getting fed that seems to be doing really well is or totally like I know it's not actually organic. I'm not an idiot, but like, <laughs> but it's like it's not curated in in the same way, and it's not flashy and it's not glossy, and I like that because it's kind of puts us all on an even playing field. Like celebrities don't necessarily do well there, and I like that. Yeah. And the only content that does well for Sarah and I is when we are basically bullying each other. Like Sarah came over to my house and saw that I like. When I order coffees, I order a few of them because I don't like the idea of someone just getting one coffee for me. So I'll order like five and then I just microwave them every morning. Why? That, that's pretty clever, actually. Well, because I feel like it's bad for the earth to like send someone to get one coffee just because I happen to be lazy and don't want to go get the coffee. That's a great point. And then Sarah made this like TikTok and it got like <laughs> half a million views or something where she's like, "Some Tegan's unwell, you know, but there's like one egg. In the fridge, it was an Airbnb and I was checking out that day, but okay. nobody knows that. So people were like, Tegan's a psycho. Why does she have an egg, one egg in there? And like, but it's like, that's the content that does well on TikTok. And you know yeah. what? I really appreciate that. I appreciate that it's not a music video where we yeah. have hair and makeup. It's me in an airport and Sarah does not walk with me at airports. And I don't know why, because she's an asshole. And so <laughs> I just film her from behind me chasing her through an airport. And that just always does really fun. Just random fun things. Yeah. It's like 15 seconds. You can do now up to like three minutes if you want, oh, but, wow. but short, short is king there. Yeah. Short is king. Cause people's attention spans are just scrolling. Also, you just want the video to repeat again and again because that's how you get the views. So, yeah. So if it's like a minute, they're probably only going to watch it once. And if it's 15 seconds, they might be tricked into watching it five times. That's a great I point. Hate, I hate that I know that. but. <laughs> and then what about, do you check your DMs? Uh, like on, I, I check like sometimes, sometimes. What, no. about, what about comments? 
Do you give a shit about uh, comments? Do you let one out of a thousand, one negative one out of a thousand positive ones bother you? Sometimes. It depends what they Why said. Why do you do that? Because we're sensitive humans who like, we're proud of the things we do, I think, and we're passionate about everything we put out there, and it's our life, and, and we wear a heart on our sleeves, and I'm sensitive. I'm speaking for myself. <laughs> yeah, I think all those things are true. It doesn't matter when people are like, but you don't know them, and they don't know you, and it doesn't, you know, I don't know. It's It's also because... I fundamentally believe people are good. Me too. And so when people are jerks online, I just think like, ew, we've created this whole system that allows the worst to come out of people. Like, I think like I'm a good person. I do. I really believe that I am. But like, I, there's a couple people I've dated where I've not been a good person. Gotcha. Like I didn't necessarily, the, they didn't bring out the best in me and I most certainly didn't bring out the best in them. And I return and think about them often because I want to redeem myself. Not yeah. even to them, just to myself. Like to be like, oh, what happened? And why did I do that? And what do I have to work on in myself? And and I think in, when that happens, like when I post something and then someone says something really mean, there's a part of me that's like, you know, did I say something or do something? Is there something about our curated image that makes people feel that they need to, t- to remind us that, do, that I, do I need to be taken down a notch? Like, you know, I really like end up getting kind of existential about the whole thing. You think it's you. Yeah, but mostly I don't care. Like yesterday, um, I think it was like Cobra Slut said, do we really need another show about two whiny white girls in high school? And I thought, no, we don't. We weren't whiny though. Yeah. You know, you weren't, you know, and I just like, was like, okay, power slut or whatever the person's name was. I was like, why is your name this? But then I was like, we're being trolled. And like, why do I care? And like, are these real people? So I just move on. Sometimes I'll write back. You seem fun. And then I'm like, don't engage. And they love then, that. That's they, they love it, but then all the fans pile on. And that's something we've done since the beginning of social media with our fans. Do not go on and defend me. I do not need you to defend me. Because they go hard. Yeah, and I'm fine. Trust me. I'm fine. Yeah. I have my life. This does not get under my skin. We're good. We're yeah, and they want the attention too. Once you give it to them, it's like they got it. Or they say, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just, fine. It, I feel bad for people like that. I feel like the people that have all that time in their hands just to like all day my, say negative things to people. Yeah. You might, they just I mean ultimately like you just you don't feel good about yourself if you're doing that all the time and that's what bumps me out is I'm like oh no you're just like walking through life and you're so bummed about yourself probably and that's yeah. what's driving you to do this and then I think like oh wait should, can I make it better can I fix it because I the, sometimes I have said stuff like where I've been like you know probably something more articulate than like you seem fun but gotten into it and then someone's been like you know what I was I was wrong or oh okay I understand and and I think I, I think I, this is what I mean I fundamentally just go back to thinking like most people are good yeah and so I do think sometimes like oh should I give them a chance and can I help them get past this and then I think well what I mostly do is I always hold myself up what do it I do mm-hmm. I don't expect anything of other people I don't expect of myself so I say to myself would I ever comment like that no would, no. So, so I don't really worry about it. It's, yeah, it's just beyond me. And the good thing about internet is that nobody's ever, ever said anything to my face, and probably not yours. Any comment, any person came up to you said anything mean to your face that they wouldn't internet. No, no, but people do say like sometimes to your face. No, but like I'm in I'm in this phase right now too, where like we have you know, there's people that have listened to us for a really long time. And so like, you know, they generate an opinion because they have like, you know, in their, in, in their minds. Okay. Like, you know, when you, you just mentioned you got a new phone, but you know, when you're doing like the, you're trying to train your phone to like recognize your fingerprint. Yeah. And you know how it's like press, keep pressing for the next 30 seconds and the, and the, and the thing keeps getting wider and bigger and you get, you know, it's like, it's like taking the photo of more parts of your thumb or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know any of the technical jargon for this. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a gadget, but, um, 
but in a weird way i think fandom that's been with you for a really long time is that process it's like every time another year goes by their thumbprint gets bigger of them their understanding of you like and but no one will ever they don't know me and it doesn't matter how much of myself i share i'm literally probably at most sharing 10 percent of who i am and who i really am you don't know my friends or my family or me you haven't seen me weeping in bed or in a breakup or a fight or with bad breath in the morning or (laughs) you know what i mean like there's so much to me really true and so like no matter what happens you know so little about me and that's what's complicated about the internet is that you really can get the sense that you really know somebody and you don't and that's why we're cruel and that's why we're mean and that's why we feel like we have a license to share so false reality man. because we think we know someone and we think we can really talk about them and then we don't and that's why it so feels probably so personal when someone says something about you is that you're like wait you don't know me how could you possibly think this about me and so I would say like no one has come up to me and said something really super cruel or mean but people do say things that I'm like I'm so tempted to be like you have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. Like, you know. They feel entitled because they've been with you the whole career. They buy your records. They love you. They go to your shows. They buy your shirts. They love your music. They read your lyrics. Yeah. They know a lot, but like still it's like a small percentage of who I really am because there's so much of my life you just don't see. And that's mm-hmm. deliberate, you know. Yeah. And so that part's hard because it can't be a small thing. Somebody recently, a fan who I really like, you know, was like, oh, yeah, you know, I mean, we can we can all tell like, you know, when you guys are grumpy at VIP you know, meet and greets and, you know, it just creates this like weird feeling where you're like, well, maybe I'm not grumpy. Maybe I'm sad or maybe yeah. I have my period or maybe what you think is grumpiness is me having a boundary. Like, you know, I got real analytical in my head about it. Yeah. And then I was like, why are you spiraling? Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> but you're a human too. Like people don't see people as yeah. humans. Yeah. Like we have feelings. We're not perfect. We yeah. cry. We're yeah. sometimes standing. Super sensitive. Yeah. So standing for hours on end, meeting people and taking photos and people telling you their intimate secrets and trauma. Like it's hard. Sometimes it's exhausting. I understand why people sometimes flip out and don't want to do it. Yeah. I just like meeting people. So I'm fine to do it. But I get it. It's a lot. It takes a lot of energy. Yeah. But I, you do more like the press usually than Sarah? Um. Lately, because Sarah and her partner just had a kid. Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah. Congratulations. That's yeah. amazing. Okay, yeah. Okay. So that's why I'm here. Got you. Okay. Yeah, because okay. Sarah's family is joining us on tour, so they're flying out. So Sarah's wow. going to the airport. and Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, it is really cool. It's a whole new adventure. I mean, you yeah. know this because you've raised a child. Yes. Um, A very tall child. Yeah, it's very tall. Um, <laughs> Who was just a tiny little thing at, who I one time made a rocket ship out of cardboard with in, in his oh, bedroom okay. here. That's right. Yeah. And I can't <laughs> believe now he's like a man. 19. It's crazy. But I, uh, it's gonna be interesting to see what it's like to be in a band and one of and the other lead singer yeah. has a child and like how's that gonna affect touring and yeah it'll be super interesting and like you just become a different person when you have a child not a better person just a different person you're you're in a new video game Sarah's like in a different level of Mario Kart's than me now because totally. you know and I have a dog and that's a whole different thing and mm-hmm. you know like we're on our separate paths but um so I definitely think like we're trying to distribute labor in a different way than we yeah. used to in our band. Because we have a lot of things on the go, and I think right now I have a lot of bandwidth, so I'm like happy to do more press and happy to do more. I don't know, just more stuff. Like I'm yeah. fine with it. I appreciate being here. Yeah, I'm um, excited to be here. So, you guys playing music together and like discovering like your voices and playing according to the show and obviously whatever the interweb says that that really brought you guys together and kind of built this bond with you guys, right? Yeah, I think music. At a very young age, I, you I, I mean, I'm sure that you will relate to this, but it's like, you know, we were on um, we were on one path and then we found music and it put us on a different path. Yeah. So for us, 
the path that we were on was like we had no vision for what our life was going to look like we had no ambition we did not know what we wanted to be or do or job we didn't have any interest in school and we were just like pretty much fucked up all the time like we just like we're basically stoned for like two years and that and skipping school but we were also like clearly very bright yeah and sweet and a lot of people in our life were like what is like get it together and we were like a bit lost and we were very disengaged from from that sort of path of like figure out who you are become an adult go to school whatever we were just like not into it and then and then on top of that of course we were like really pushing each other away and we were really disconnected and we were really angry at one another and we felt very exposed like Sarah's sexuality felt on display to me even though she was hiding it from everyone and so that felt very exposing and we just tortured one another and it was hard we struggled we had to share everything and, and did you talk about your sexuality with no, each other? no 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 we not at all we were so distant and so on the show you kind of experience in different things yeah and- your friends kind of has a crush on you. There's different parts of the show. I'm not going to give it all up. But yeah, it's beautiful to watch. I just... And I think like the, the depiction is like very honest because I think a lot of people just imagine like, oh yeah, you're best friends probably because you're twins and you just tell each other everything and you had each other to go through stuff with. And it was like the opposite. It was like, oh fuck, Sarah's going through this too. And I don't want anyone to know I'm going through it. So I definitely don't want to talk about it with her and I don't want anyone to find out. And yeah, it was just a really tough and time. Physical fights. Physical fight. We were brutal to each other. So that's real in there too, as well. Oh yeah, we were brutal, and like my, like said, we were left alone with my stepdad a lot, and he would just he would come up like multiple times. He came up when we were growing up, like as teenagers, with a drill, and he'd take our doors off the hinges and be like, "You could have these back." We have a song called "Like oh, Like H," and Sarah sings about this, like take the hinges off the door. Like she was, he, it, it was like we were up to no good in our rooms. First of all, didn't deserve doors, but also we would just fucking fight all night long screaming and pounding on the doors and like fighting over the phone like you know Sarah would be like I want to call my best friend and just like pressing the buttons I mean it was nightmarish I don't know how he didn't just like kill us you know and he was so patient but then we found music and everything changed because all of a sudden I wasn't a loser who didn't know what I wanted to do who hated my body and hated my life and didn't know who I was all of a sudden there was this thing I wanted to do all the time all the time. Yeah. And it, and that wasn't drugs. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like all of a sudden like I could replace the temptation to just get messed up and and hang out with my friends with this other like kind of really amazing therapeutic cathartic thing which was sitting down and writing music and yeah. it was like you know how this is it's like you sing you 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 eject so much energy when you sing and totally. you perform and it's like all of a sudden all this frustration and insecurity and yeah. confusion and curiosity that was like just a typhoon inside of my body could just be pushed out. Like I would just start playing music and I would just scream and yell and write these songs. And, and then I needed Sarah because I needed someone to like play along and sing and run the tape deck to, to, to record me. And then I would yeah. do the same for her. And then we would like dub tapes all night in the bedroom when we did That's homework. And, and all of a sudden there was peace between us. And then play, yeah, playing those songs for your friends who didn't know you guys even sang or played guitar. That was yeah, and it was like amazing because then we had all this attention and like I think ultimately what we figured out is it's like we really thrive when we have attention mm-hmm. and it's no you know slag on my parents but they were busy. Like I said, they were in their mid thirties. They were yeah. going back to school. They were also about to separate. You know, my dad. We only saw him one day a week. My stepdad and my mom like had all this tension between them. They had their own lives. They had their own problems. We were alone. We were lonely. And, yeah. we, and and there is something very lonely about having someone that looks just like you who's going through all the things you're going through who's behind a locked door. And yeah. it's like all of a sudden we had music and it was like we weren't talking to each other, but we were communicating with each other all of a sudden. Through that. And it was less lonely. Yeah, you think your mom knew about, about both of you? 
you know, she I seems mean, seems so open minded about like friends sleeping over and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, I think she probably had a sense, and I think she was curious, and I think at times she definitely would speak about. It. I mean, we all joked all of our friends because she was constantly renting us movies. Like she'd be like, "Have you guys seen this movie? It's called When Night Is Falling." And we'd put it on in like ten minutes, and we're like, "It's a gay movie." And <laughs> I can remember my best friend, who was my <laughs> secret girlfriend, her being like, "Your mom knows we're gay," <laughs> or she's trying to make us gay. It's one or the other, and. Yeah, I think she was embracing it. We also had some queer friends in our group and she knew and she was really supportive of them. But it didn't matter because when Sarah came out, my mom was enraged. And mm. that is something we talk about with parents a lot and, and with queer people who haven't come out yet. That you think you're going to react one way, but sometimes you don't know how you're going to react. Yeah. And for my mom, I think my understanding of what went down for my mom from both their perspectives, my like sort of mix of what I think happened for both Sarah and my mom when it happened, which happened right after high school, is I think my mom felt like Sarah had hidden it from her because my mom had numerous times said, you know, what's going on? Is something going on between you and, you know, Krista, who's the friend she's called. I got you these movies. Like, what's up? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I'm here for you. How come you're not confiding in me? And you're lying and you're keeping this. Like, I think for my mom, it almost felt like a betrayal or something. So my mom, she recovered really quickly. But oddly... Did not have the response we thought. But it's something I talk about all the time. It's all good. You get to come out every day. I just came out in my Uber on the way here because he was like, so you got a boyfriend? And I'm like, coming out for the 400 millionth time? No, I do not, sir. I have a wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? So, like, you get to do it a lot, even to your family. It must feel nice still to say, say that. It's nice sometimes. Sometimes it feels like deeply personal and you're mm. like, I don't really want to have to talk about it. But ultimately, yeah. you're going to get a billion shots over your lifetime. So I just constantly tell people if you're still thinking about how to come out and imagining it in your head, the great news is you're going to do it a billion times so we get tons of chances. The bad news is that you never know how people are going to react. And some people just, it takes them a minute. And we just all have to have patience for each other because whether it's gender or it's sexuality, like... We have to just accept that the world has changed, but most of what we see and most of what is modeled for us is cis heterosexuality. Mm-hmm. And so you think you're going to be okay with it because you've watched a few gay shows and you think it's fine. But then when it's your child or it's your best friend or it's your partner who's all of a sudden like, oh, I think I might be trans. It's harder than you would think initially. Mm-hmm. And there's some awkwardness. And then you get past it and everything's fine. And then you just get to tell you know, every new person who drives you and sits <laughs> next to you on an airplane and... Yeah. You know, it's all good. You're going to get real good at telling people. So seeing uh, Sarah do that and the reaction of your mom, did that make you go even like, didn't it push you back more or no? You know, for me, I think it took me a little longer than Sarah to come to terms with it because, you know, I always thought guys were cool. I had boyfriends. It wasn't like, I wasn't like tortured. But it was like the first time I kissed a girl, I was like, oh, shit, this is a very different experience. Like, yeah. You know, like it only took that for me to be like, oh, and like I've read back through my journals when we were writing the book and I was like, like, I'm a bit dense maybe as a teenager, like compared to Sarah. Like, I think I was like, I also think I liked the feeling of liking girls so much that not acting on it for a long time wasn't torture for me. Okay. Like I could hold that feeling and it felt like it was mine and it was okay. And so the truth is, is that when Sarah came out, it wasn't so much my mom's reaction or anyone else's reaction that kept prevented me from coming out right away. I think for me, I needed like to be in the relationship where it was like, Hey, I have a girlfriend and I was still sort of carrying on as somewhat secretive thing with my best friend who'd gone away to college and so she wasn't around and she didn't seem particularly comfortable with the idea of us coming out so 
I think I just kind of kept it on the down low for about six more months after Sarah came out because that felt like the right thing to do. And then I met someone who was gay, who was older than me, who pursued me and was interested in me. And my coming out was that I flew her to Calgary where I was still living and she was very visibly gay. And I had a party at the basement suite Sarah and I lived in, invited all my friends and everybody got drunk and like all night long just would pull me into a you know bedroom or a hallway and be like is that your girlfriend and I'd be like yeah and that's how I came out I was like just brought like the most gay looking person on (laughs) earth and and everybody's like wait so you're gay and like progressively as the night continued all the girls that I'd grown up with who we'd all had crushes on each other as they got more drug they were like it became teary like then it was like oh he's had a crush on you like that kind of thing and uh that's amazing so I kind of just like got it all my mom just was like is is this woman who is visiting, this is like clearly your girlfriend? And I was like, yeah. And then like three months later, I'd known this woman no time at all. I told my mom, I'm moving out. And I'm moving to Vancouver. And my mom was quite stoic about the whole thing. And the morning that I left, my best friend, who had been my boyfriend all through high school, who's now gay, is gay also, was gay then. Clearly, that's why we dated each other because we were like safe. And uh, he drove me and he picked me up at like five in the morning. And like my mom was crying on the front porch and like got in the car and like I bawled, you oh. know, for like two hours because it was such a weird feeling. Like I was like yeah. I'm moving away from home. I'm, I I think I was, I, I think I'm a, I'm very compartmentalized. And I think leading up to that moment, I just was like, and I'm going to move out and I'm going to go to Vancouver and I'm going to be a musician and I'm going to be gay. Like I just was kept saying these things over and over again and not allowing any room for myself to feel these things. Yeah. But that it took like literally getting in the vehicle and driving away to go move in with this girl who I knew for like (laughs) three months, but had physically been in the same space as for like 15 days, let's call it. Wow. And just like, I think it was just so much emotion because I was like, what have I done? But also I needed to do this. Like that's how I needed to come out and I needed to jumpstart my life and I needed to leave Sarah. I needed to leave my mom. I needed to just do something that was about me and just start. And it was like, you know, the next. That's a lot. Yeah. How long did that last? Oh, like her and I dated like, I think I got to Vancouver and like by dinner, I was like, this, she's, <laughs> something's wrong. <laughs> Something bad's happening here. This would be one Are of the people, serious? this would be one of the people I would put on the list that like, I'm sure is a wonderful person. And I hope she's gone on to have a wonderful 23 years of her life since I, I have not seen her, but wow. did not bring out great things in each other. And I was a child. I was 19 years old. I should not be like, I should not have moved in with somebody. And like, how soon did you come back? I didn't come back. Mm. No, no. I was like, I last. So we dated probably three months. I was on tour the whole time. Basically, I was there for like two weeks and then I went on tour and for a summer opening for Neil Young and the Pretenders. Pshew. Signed a record deal, left. Wow. So I was like very focused on that. Like the yeah. devast. Like I was, I didn't have a passport or a cell phone. I'm just like all of a sudden touring around. I just looked so homesick and, but didn't even know what I was homesick for. I just was like so lonely. Sarah and I, it was another really tough period of our life. We were so alone. And we just like we toured with some random guy that they'd hired for us to drive us around, and then we were like playing to amphitheaters of people who d- couldn't have given a shit about us, you know. Wow. We got to the first show and Neil Young's guitar tag. That's your first real tour. Yeah. Wow, that's a crazy first real tour. <laughs> we show up to the first date. We get on stage and we're just standing there like complete idiots. Our guitars didn't even have straps on them yet. We had always played in like coffee shops and and small bars where we sit on stools. The guitar tech, guitar tech for Neil Young comes over. He's like. You could just see the look. I can still see his face. <laughs> like he was like, "What the fuck is happening?" And he was like, "Brazo on the side stage." And he put pegs on the guitars and put a strap on. And was like, "You're gonna need to stand up. It's a big place." Wow, brutal summer, but great experience. Wonderful tour in so many ways. Learned from the best. You know, learned to be kind to everyone. Learned the whole like nuts and bolts of the whole thing. But 
you know, we're playing two gigs a night because we would open the show and then they would drive us over in a golf cart to the beer gardens and make us play for and not our audience. You know, the we beer were 19 gardens. years yeah. old. It was brutal. And um, that's an insane experience for the first one. Yeah. So I get home from that tour. Haven't seen my girlfriend in like six weeks. You know, this is pre-cell phones. Pre- yeah. Like, well, pre-cell phones you can afford to use and travel with. Yeah. You know, I hadn't seen her face. She was a stranger. I'd <laughs> moved to a new city with somebody I'd like, you know, literally like hung out with three times for a few days at a time, you know, and moved in with, left my, like it was absolutely bananas. Wow. And got into the apartment and we had a show that night and she'd cooked, I'd done press all day and then she'd cooked this dinner. <laughs> and, uh, We'd been at press all day, you know, and they're giving you like croissants and snacks and yeah. food and whatever. I was hungry and then I had to play a show, a sold out show at this place called Richard on Richards in Vancouver. And I didn't eat the meal. And I remember she, you know, at one point picked up our plates and threw them into the sink. And then she like went and hid in the bathroom. And I was like, uh, what? Who is this person? <laughs> I was living with a stranger. Totally. Anyway, we broke up shortly after that. But I stayed in Vancouver. I got my own place, moved in with a friend. Um, that only lasted a few months, but it was, you know, and then I got like in a studio apartment and I was like, I'm an adult, I was 21 or 20 years old. And was just like, okay, I'm going to make it, make this happen. And Sarah had moved by this point to Vancouver, her and her girlfriend, and they hated it. And they soon broke up and Sarah moved to Montreal and I was alone. Wow. Yeah. But it was so good for us. Cause it was like, okay, like we were on tour a lot. And so it was like, yeah. we'd finish the tour and it would be like, peace out. See you in a few, <laughs> see you in a few weeks. We don't know. You mm-hmm. know, they might just call us tomorrow and tell us we have another tour. We just would be like, I don't know. I'll see you when I see you. Did you, were you working jobs or just so, that was full-time music? Just music. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, well, we were hustlers, you know, like, so we were, you know, you'll relate. We were out there selling merch, yeah, connecting with people and afraid to spend it. So, you know, we were also like shared hotel rooms till we were 25 years old, which is insane and unhealthy, you know, because <laughs> yeah. we just like never had any space, never had a break, mm-hmm. you know? And like, it's, it's funny now because like, I know so many young artists and they're like, oh, you know, I'm not going to go on tour unless I can get a tour bus. And like, it was 2007 when we got our first tour bus. We started in 1998. Yeah, it takes a while. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. Back then it took a while. Now people were like, I'm doing it. And I'm like, I don't know. We were like, I can remember sometimes like the conversation would come up with like, <laughs> should we buck a business class seat? And I'd be like, well, I'm pretty small. I'll just like save the money. Smart though. Yeah. Well, it helped us so we didn't have to work and do, you know, we also toured acoustic. You know, we all, of course I wanted a band. I would have, our, all our albums had bands on it, mm-hmm. but we were with a tiny little label. Like we were with Neil Young's label. We had no tour support and it was just like, no, you're going to just play acoustic. We opened for everyone acoustic. Wow. First couple of years. And we just like learned how to like make an audience listen to us. So good. W- was your mom like nervous about? Yeah. So funny beginning? because she was, she talks about it now and she was like, it was absolutely terrifying. Yeah. She's like, you guys were 19 years old and you're going on tour and we just like, you would call us from pay phones, collect. Totally, back you know, then. every couple of days would be yeah. like, "Are you alive?" Checking I, in. yeah, wow. But you know, they also were like, "Oh, we were so impressed." But you know, they have trauma too about our career because, like, they had to read the mean press and the tough stuff people would say, mm-hmm. and like, you know, you know that feeling when you're watching someone you love do something and you're like, "Don't fall, don't fall, don't fall." Yes. You know, they basically have had that feeling in their body for 42 years because, like we did went from being children to adolescents to like adults who live a public life. And you know, they have that don't fall mentality. Yeah. They trust us and believe in us and are proud of us. And I'm sure it's not as intense as it was, but yeah, it's really hard. So they're babies. It's like, yeah, now we've yeah. dragged them into it. You know, mm-hmm. like it used to just be about us. And now we're like, no, we've spent 20 years talking about us. So now we're going to talk about all of you. Surprise. <laughs> <laughs> so you put out your first record yourself, right? In 99, that was the first one. Yeah. Just like what label? Just put it out yourself? Yeah, we just put it ourselves. And, you know, like at That's the pretty time. Amazing. Yeah, we had an agent, this guy Julian, still friends with him to this day. And he, um, 
I think he was he was the one that helped us get. There was like a collective, you know, that you could yeah. send a fifty box or a box of fifty CDs, and then they would send like a couple to every independent store in the country or whatever, and then you'd get like a royalty statement or something. But we quickly, for a very short time, I think just a few months, we we hired a manager, and um, and they were the ones that got us in touch with Vapor Records, and and at the time Neil Young's manager Elliot, who passed away a few years ago, he, they got us in touch with him, and he came and saw us play in Vancouver, and he was like, "I'm gonna offer you a record deal," and we were like, "What?" And Crazy. nobody else was offering us a record deal, so we were like, I guess we're going to sign Vape Records. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we negotiated for a month. They gave us like a deal memo. It was like two paragraphs. And the manager who had been talking, he's like, you'd sign this. And we were like, no. And then we fired the manager. And then, you know, for like six months, we like played shows and toured and, and created a relationship with Elliot, who was running the label and managing Neil. And, you know, went down to South by Southwest and asked a billion questions and got a lawyer. And, you know, we really like looked into it. And, yeah. And we were like, um, really invested in making sure it wasn't a shitty deal. And uh, when we signed it, I think it was like June, and then we went on tour July and August with Neil Young and it was wow. put, and put out. We basically, by that point, had made a second record, yep. which was called This Business of Art. This Business of Art, yeah, that's 2000, yeah. Yeah, and they didn't want us to do that. They were like, no, Under Feel Like Hours, just put that record out. That's the first record. That's the one we want. And we were like, well, we're over it. It's been out for like six months. <laughs> over F- to Five lady. people bought it, and now we want to make a new record, you know. <laughs> were you guys like having audiences at that point? So, like making a name out there? No, oh, absolutely not. Um, but after the Neil Young tour, we went into Canada and we did a cross Canada tour. Probably did like maybe ten shows or something like that. And, yeah, and you know we were playing to like maybe a hundred people, two hundred in some places, and so that felt really legit, and we were excited. And then we mostly just you know we'd get calls. There was we we got an agent in the U.S. and and we'd randomly be like, oh. Um, you know, Joan Osborne has four dates on the West Coast. Just get in your car and go do it. And we don't drive. I still t- do not drive to this day. So we'd like hire a friend to drive us down there and do the shows. And then we get home and then it'd be like, oh, Jonathan Richmond has four shows on the West Coast. Go open for him. And so we go do that. And then it'd be like, okay, fly out to the East Coast. There's a bunch of random shows you're going to open for other people. And you'll just do the circuit for the East Coast for two weeks and then come home. And, and Wow. Grinding, man. Yeah. So we did that for two years. And then we made um, If It Was You yeah, with John Collins and David Carswell who were... Uh, had made the new pornographer's record, um, and Mass Romantic, which we were obsessed with. And by that point, we'd um, gotten a publicist, uh, this guy, Brendan Bork, who'd helped put us in touch with, with John and Dave, and um, a promoter uh, that had booked us for a bunch of shows um, on Vancouver Island. His name was Nick Blasco. He and Sarah and I kind of became friends with each other, and he helped us book some shows in British Columbia, the, the province we were living in, to make some money while we waited for the album to come out. And we just got on like a house on fire. And we'd been managing ourselves for three years by that point. Wow. And he said, me and my friend are starting a management company and we want want you guys to be our first client. And it's like, it was weird. We'd been like managing ourselves. No one had ever approached us. Yeah. Elliot, was, you know, Neil's manager had just been sort of helping out to some degree as as the label partner. But, and we went and had dinner with Nick and Piers and they were like, we've never managed before, but we've been in bands and we book shows and like, we think we'd make good managers for you guys. And so we did like a co-management deal. Nice. <laughs> we're super, such badasses. We were like, we'll pay you half, we'll pay you a reduced rate and you can manage us for a few months. We'll see. And they were our managers for 18 and a half years. We just, wow. we just consciously uncoupled all of us like chose, like we're all doing different things now. So, but, um, 18 years, that's incredible, man. Yeah. They're awesome. You know, they're the bedrock of everything we've done. And, and, and that changed everything too, right? Because all of a sudden we had like a team. We weren't reacting to things. We were plan- planning. We were thinking yeah. strategy and thinking ahead. And, you know, bumpy first few years because you're like learning, right? They're learning. We're learning. All of a sudden, 
the record had been upstreamed so vapor did a deal with proper distribution and so that record if it was you we started to like get like legit reviews like you know mtv the you or whatever like you know the college station started to play a couple of our videos and um we got a bunch of tours like offered proper like you know month-long tours like by bands that were much more in like the vein of what we were doing and like by the end of that record cycle i was like i think this is like real like i think we're that we came home from that record cycle we were 24 and we wrote so Je- what would become so jealous and yeah. it was like oh yeah this is legit like we stopped we were still fighting all the time we went to therapy the whole time we were making that record but sarah wow. and i had stopped screaming i'm gonna quit and go to university at each other you know we were like oh i think this is like what we do now yeah that's five years six years almost that we were grinding it out Damn. before we were like okay i think this is what we're gonna do <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy giving up when you kind of self-managed and then somebody else comes in the mix like we we'll take 20 percent it's okay what can you bring to the table that we're not bringing to the table mm-hmm. and i like how you did it like okay we'll give you a try out let's see let's see what you can do that we can't do bring something that we can't do yeah and learn together and like yeah. you know because it's, it's, it's a relationship like mm-hmm. they were they become you know in a way it's family and way it's friends but also they're like your business partners ultimately it's hard to separate that too sometimes yeah and like, I don't know, for Sarah and I, it's like, look, we're the only permanent members in our band and we're yes. the only permanent members in our career and we're family. So it's complicated to come in and manage us or do anything for us, to be honest, because you're always on the outside. Even my mom says that, like, you mm. know, she's like, no matter how much, how close we are and how connected we are, she's like the way that the two of you are with each other. Like I was, I was always on the outside. It's kind of sad to me in a way, but it's like, yeah, there's like a intrinsic connection between Sarah and I because of our upbringing and being twins and being yeah. the same in so many ways. And and so managing us and managing that and managing a band that's family and like it's it's hard, it's complicated. And, and um, I think, you know, Nick and Mears or Nick and Piers, when they came in, they were managing not just a band, but they were managing a family in a way. And that was that was complicated. So, it, it, you know, took a, a while to get a groove. And then it's like things escalated so quickly was so jealous and then into the con you know we started to be a legitimate band in a lot of people's eyes and getting decent reviews and a lot of the like early misogyny and sexism and just writing us off like you know you guys almost broke up because of the record supposedly right yeah because it was it was so hard you know it was like we just at that point it's like i don't like to throw ptsd around too loosely but i do think like being kids alone on the road yeah with no resources no support no management no phones no way of connecting no money you know, dealing with brutal, you know, audience members, people saying stuff to us, really awful things. So I was kind of living in fear a lot of the time. You know, we'd leave these venues at like midnight and go to like an Econo Lodge alone. And then we'd like shower, count the money, do a deposit at the bank before we left and then get on a Greyhound bus. We didn't drive and we would like sleep on the bus overnight, you know, and get to the next city and then just like have to like piss around town and like hang out and like, you know, we would have these binders. We had this whole system. We would, before the tour, we would print out MapQuest directions. I'm sure you guys did the same. Yes. You know, you'd map, you'd MapQuest everything out and print it out beforehand. And we'd have these binders. So we knew like, you know, where to go. And, and we would call the venues, you know, and you would call and you would talk so to DIY. the bartender. And you'd be like, where's the closest motel? Like, or do you have accommodations <laughs> with a band? And like, every <laughs> band does that. But it was just Sarah and I and we were kids. So it was scary. Crazy, man. And so responsible. So adult, like fast. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't remember having, like, I mean, we, we had rules, like, it, it was only a few years ago we even allowed alcohol backstage or on buses because it was just like, absolutely not. Everyone needs to be in their right mind. We have to be able to afford, where we can't afford to buy any of this gear again. So, like, everyone's got to be sober and wow. and in the right mind and take care of things. And, like, we had to have our wits about us. We can get drunk at a venue and then wander to an Econo Lodge. We were, like, two little kids, basically. Yeah. And so I think by the time our career started to actually 
become something, mm-hmm. you know, 2005 to 2010 is massive growth, right? All of a sudden, we're yeah. like 2,000 people a night and it's crazy and getting proper press and doing whatever. It seems like we would have just been like, what's up? We made it. And it was like yeah. the opposite. It was like we could stop feeling fearful and we could start feeling our feelings. And those feelings were like, oh, it's nice that Pitchfork is saying nice-ish things about us. But remember when they called us tampon rock and said, you know, or when, you know, Spin called us a Wiccan folk nightmare. Enemy said we were okay, even though we hated cock. And like you wear, wow. and people laugh and read those reviews to you and are like hilarious. And it's like you carry this like weird discomfort about your sexuality and your, you know, people come up and are like, do you even know how to play that guitar? And these seem like very small things, but when you're, a child, like when you're 20 years old and you're just coming out into the world, you start to carry these things. You start to believe them about yourself. And so when finally someone steps in and legitimizes what you're doing and says, I'm going to take you out on tour and I think you're the real deal. And you're like with Tiesto in front of 40,000 people at Bonnaroo doing a remix to back in your head and everyone's dancing and like, I love you. You, You'd be (laughs) shocked at how quickly you don't shrug off all of those initial things. You have to do like years of letting go of that and being like, oh, we're not pieces of shit. And oh, we are okay. And like, you know, so it was a weird time. And I think it, you know, there were also, you know, tons of personal things, you know, relationships breaking up, things changing. And we take everything out on each other. So, you know, they were tough years. They weren't like the more... I don't look at them and go, oh, those were really like hilarious, awesome, amazing, like high-fiving. We're like achieving everything we ever wanted. It was like not that feeling, you yeah. know, which was hard on the people around us who'd worked so hard by that point mm-hmm. to get us those things. And, yeah. And then you're standing there at Glastonbury and it's like one o'clock though. You're playing like one o'clock, <laughs> and you know, on the like stage, like it takes, it's like two miles from the main stage, you know? And I could never forget one of our managers coming on the bus after we played and just being like, I mean, his face, you know, he's so happy, so happy. And he's like, wow, Glastonbury, you know, he's so excited. He kind of did the, he like mimed crossing it off the list. Mm. And I was like, oh no, 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 no. We'll be crossing it off the list when we come here in a helicopter and play the pyramid stage. But Sick. now I don't actually give a shit. I'm like, yeah, totally cross it off the list. Festivals <laughs> are a nightmare. But, but, you know, at 26, I was like, hold up, man. You know, but it was like, were you setting goals like that? Did you did you guys get caught up in the whole thing? Like, you want to be bigger? You want to be... I think that was probably the start of us saying... Like I said, there was a couple of years of needing to shrug off all the trauma of the beginning yeah, yeah. of our career. And then, yeah, I think we got ambitious, which is why we made a pop record. Mm-hmm. And it, for a lot of people, it alienated them from us, you know, or from what they felt the ethos of Tegan and Sarah was because we had been like the band you can listen to if you're marginalized or you're on the fringe or you feel like an outsider. And it's like, yeah, well, we are still those things, but like fuck that. I want to be in the mainstream and I want people to have to look at me and I want people to have to hear my story and I want people to like listen to a song like Closer and it be undeniably catchy and you have to like me even though I'm gay or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, I was like... Get your message to everybody, man. Yeah, I was like, I, I needed me when I was a kid and I didn't see me and and, and, and 2011, I started to th- think that way and 2012 when we were writing what would eventually become Heartthrob, our first pop record, I was like looking at the charts, looking at the alternative charts and seeing there were like, you know, three women in like 20 years or something that had been on, in the top 10 on alternative. And I was like, that's outrageous to me. Wow. And then I'm looking at pop and I'm like, well, pop's no better because yeah, there's like amazing women there, Katy Perry and Kesha and, you know, Kelly Clarkson, all these like amazing, incredible, iconic, powerful, you know, Im, you know, pink, Adele. P- yeah, Adele and Ooh. Pink and Florence and the Machine, all these, but like most of them from what I could tell in 2012 were not identifying as anything but straight. And I was like, but I need me. And sure, mm. some of these people are like gay icons, but like, but they're not gay. And so like, 
it doesn't have to be us, but why not us? True. And so I went to the record label, which had just, you know, had a huge, massive management change and there was a new president and a new, new chairman and a new CEO. And um, I was like, drop us. You know, because they were dropping other bands. I was like, drop us. And they were like, well, there was this woman, Livia Shortella, who had taken over and she was like, first time really the president of a label had ever sat down with us and was like, wait, why are you so unhappy? Why do you want to be dropped? You're recouping. The mm-hmm. Con, Sainthood, both those albums Which recouped. is unheard of. Yeah. It's crazy. And they were like, why would you want to leave? And I was like, well, let me tell you a story. You know, and I felt I felt like we'd been I felt like they'd bricked a ceiling over our heads, you know, like mm-hmm. we were being treated like an indie rock band. And it's like, well, for indie rock, we'll put us on an indie label. We're recouping. We'll actually make money. I wasn't, you know, making any money. And yeah. And um, yeah, we just started to have these like very, very like existential conversations. You know, Rob Cavallo, I give him credit. We never really had a relationship with him, but he would sit in on some of these meetings and he was just like, do something else then. Like, you know, you keep using indie rock producers like why don't you make a record why don't you go and try to make a record with a huge producer and like see what happens and anyway we went home and you know wrote and wrote and wrote and then I went out and took a bunch of meetings and ended up hooking up with this guy Greg Kirsten who was like making those big pop records but also was like in Beck's band for 10 years and like you know was like is an amazing and hilarious human being and he listened to my demo of Closer and this song called I Was a Fool and a couple of songs of Sarah's and he, I never forget, he kind of like spun around in his chair. Like I'd gone to a studio, for like I had like a 10 minute meeting with him or something. <laughs> and uh, he's just like, oh, you want to make a pop record? You guys write pop songs. And I was like, yeah. And I feel like, you know, we want to try something different. And he's like, yeah, this is cool. And it, for me, that was like me finally dreaming. And yeah. it was Rob Cavallo who'd sat with us. And it was weird and very uncomfortable. But he's like, close your eyes and tell me what you want. What does the audience look like? What size venue is it? What wow. are, be, be brave. Say out loud what it is you want from your career. Because he's like, even if you say, oh, I want to sell a million records, you probably won't. But you'll probably sell more than you would have if you hadn't said, I'm going to try to aim higher. True. And so we did. We said all these scary things out loud. We didn't get any of them. None of them. Wow. Not one. But we got things I didn't even think of. So we did say, we were like, I'd like to sell a million records. We didn't get a million records, but we got a million downloads closer. You know? It's great. Like, we didn't play arenas, but we opened for Katy Perry, and we ended up doing the Everything is Awesome song for the Lego movie and played the fucking Oscars. Like, it was, like, weird. Like, other things happened, things that are not on my bucket list, things that I don't want now. But it was, like, by allowing myself to be scared and just say I wanted, I wanted something. And why, when, why wasn't I allowing myself to want something? Why did everyone told us that it was wrong to want more, you know? And when we went and put that record out, a lot of people were sad and upset, but the analogy I started to populate in our fan base was this. My mom worked at a daycare and then she had us and then she had a day home. So she took care of kids in the home. And then when my dad left, she went back to school because she was like, I don't want to just do this. I want to be able to provide a better life for my kids. And she went back to school and she got a bachelor's degree. And a few years later, after she paid off her student loans, she went back and she got a master's degree. And then every couple of years she goes back and she gets additional education. To me, people telling us we couldn't, make a pop record or, or we couldn't want more was the equivalent of someone going to my mom and saying, no, be happy being a, a daycare worker and that's it. That's your whole life now. That's what you got to do. That was the first choice you made. And so that's your choice forever. And so to me, people coming in 20 years into my career and telling me, even though they love us and they love yeah. our music and they buy our t-shirts and they support us, someone coming to me and telling me what I can do next with my life felt very, very, very unfair. Where I, I was agree. like, I'm going to explore now. And it's going to maybe put you in a position where you feel uncomfortable and that's okay. You don't have to explore with me. But if you want to come on this journey with me as a fan of our band, 
I'd like you to come with me because yeah. we might find some fun shit and we might also realize pop music's very hard and it's exhausting and I don't want to do it anymore <laughs> and now we have a new album called Cry Baby and it's really punk rock and it's fun. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> the, I'm going to go back to the Lego song, Everything is Awesome. Does that put you in a whole different world, just that one song from that movie? Yeah. I mean, it's temporary, right? It doesn't last yeah. forever. But it, but for probably two or three years, there was um, you know a lot of young kids all of a sudden coming to our shows. Wow. Pa- parents who probably had timed out of going to concerts all of a sudden feeling the desire to bring their kids to see us. Um, obviously, it gave us this like weird industry credibility because there were these like you know, like performing on the Oscars where people were like, oh, they performed on the Oscars. They must be a huge band. And it's like, no, we were playing the same size venues we'd always played. But it was like, yeah. there was like um, more visibility, you know, more awareness about us. And that was good. Like that was worth all the time and energy. Yeah. And um, it's a great song too. Yeah, it's a totally great song. And it was like a really fun experience. It was it was scary and overwhelming. Like Sarah and I don't have high, like our ambitions don't lie in that realm of like, I want to be famous. I want to be on television. Like yeah. I, you know, I, I I hate playing on late night TV. Like it's nerve wracking. Like it's like very scary. And like, that's not really, that's not, not we're not necessarily, that's not where we excel necessarily. So, but um, it was a really cool experience, you know, like going out and opening for Katy Perry and playing that song and having the whole audience jump up and down. Like they were cool experiences. Wow. They're like life experiences that I'm like, oh, I'm so glad that happened. That was so cool. Yeah. But like, I didn't leave it going like, I want that every night. I was like, no. my ankles will never be the same. My arches <laughs> fell like I'm tired. Yeah. <laughs> um, how did that come about get, like, getting on that soundtrack? My recollection is we were on tour in Europe. This was during the Heartthrob record cycle. So again, there was just like way more awareness about us. You know, yeah. we'd had like Closer Got on Glee and like, you know, there were like these like bigger spots that had happened. So um, somebody reached out to our management and said, would they be willing to audition a version of the song? Because we didn't write it. Um, song was written already and they said, would they be willing to audition their version of it? And like, can we hear their voices on it kind of thing? And we were like, yeah, we're like on tour in Europe, which is like the most difficult thing you can do on earth pretty much, 100%. you know? Like I have a friend who just had a kid and he's like, I was like, how is it? And he said, it's basically like touring Europe. <laughs> and I was like, totally. That's a good analysis. Yeah, like you're tired, you're jet lagged. There's like a sickness almost that you feel like when you're touring Europe. Because you're like, you never really get on a schedule. You're never on. You know, yeah. and everything's hard. It's like, it's 100 meters to the venue. And it's like, well, but it's also uphill and it's cobblestone. So good luck getting your back up there. You know, it's like. It's so true. It's hard. It's yeah. really hard, uh, but great. So fun. But um, <laughs> I have to say that. But uh, anyway, they just I was like, where are we going to demo this song? And we just like did it in the basement in the venue in like Prague or something wow. like that. Never thought we would get it. I was like, you should get Haley from Paramore to do it, you know? And because we're like, we kind of do that thing sometimes where we hedge our bets and, you know, we're like, we th- or maybe that's the wrong way to say it, but we like basically were like, oh, someone better will get it. And then we got this email and it was like, they love it. They want you. You need to be in LA in like three days, you know, at the Did end. you know it was for? Yes, they okay. told us it was for the Lego movie um, and they gave us the general premise. I think we got a log line and maybe like a few lines about what the movie was about. And I knew that Mark Mothersbaugh from Devo was producing it and I knew that the song, that that Lonely Island were involved. That was sort of like the details had been given yeah. to us. And I was living in LA at the time so I was I volunteered slash was voted as the person who would go in and actually cut it. So I wow. went to the studio. Which I think we recorded at Capitol like at the recording studio there. And when I got to the studio, they'd booked me for two hours. And then when I got there, Mark was like, they want us to do four versions, four different tempos and different keys. The song is like not in my register at all. Like, you know, it's like so high. And uh, he's like, don't worry, we'll like tune the shit out of it. And I was like, okay, great. But it was like hard. (laughs) And uh, he's like, oh, you know, film and TV people is like, they want me to do so many different versions. And like, we only have you booked for two hours. And I was like, I mean, I'll do my best. Um, 
And then once they landed on the version they wanted, then Sarah um, recorded her vocals in Montreal and, and flew them in and then never saw the movie until it was out. Wow. And I was in New York. Sarah lived in New York at the time. And um, and I was staying there. I was dating someone that lived there. It just happened to be there the night like or the week that it came out. And Sarah was like, let's go see the Lego movie. One afternoon it was snowing. And it was like... Sarah was like, let's go see the Lego movie. And I'm like, I'll never be able to get a cab. I don't know why I remember that detail. But anyway, so I walked. You hadn't heard the final version? I'm sure we had. Yeah. Don't have a memory of it. But like, I'm sure we'd heard the final version. Um, but never seen the movie. And so we just knew it was in the movie. Also, no one had told us it's in the movie a thousand times. It's but insane. So I walked to the theater and I meet Sarah there. And she brought Sarah Bareilles with her. And her par- Sarah's partner, Stacy. And the four of us went into the movie theater and when we sat, we're sitting outside the theater and when the doors opened, everyone that came out was singing the song. Oh my God. Like they were all humming the song and singing it to each other. And and, wow. and, and, and I don't know if it was Sarah or Sarah Brellis or Stacey. I don't know which one of them said it, but one of them was like, I think this is going to be a really big song. And we went, we watched the movie. I don't really remember much about watching the movie other than we did think it was very funny that, yeah. that the song is like so prevalent in the movie. And then I don't also know why this detail matters, but afterwards we went to this very hard to get into restaurant in New York called ABC Kitchen. And we only got in because Sarah Bareilles had her assistant or somebody call and we no, we none of us could get a table. And so then she had like, my understanding is that they were like, tell them it's Sarah Bareilles and Tegan and Sarah from like who have that song in the Lego movie and see if like, if we combine forces, we can get a table. And when we got there, we got a table. Wow. But we all agree that the only reason why we got the table is because Sarah's wife now but at the time girlfriend looks like sandra bullock like a young like like an early 90s sandra bullock and the and the hostess looked at stacy and went oh hold on i'll get you guys a table and it was like right in the middle of the restaurant and we were sitting next to rob thomas from matchbox 20 (laughs) that's that's what i remember of that night the food was amazing wow but that's what i remember of and and everywhere we went it was everywhere it was on every billboard every uber we would get into people i don't know how people i don't understand why people knew it was us though like visually yeah. that part's missing from my memory i'm sure there was mm. just probably tons of promo happening around then but yeah but we'd get into cars and it would come up and you know it just people it, i always say we're the most famous in the one mile radius around a venue we're playing and at airports don't know why okay recognized everywhere in airports only now, wow. everywhere else blend in like a, just a normal garbage person but like <laughs> an airport there's something about us i think it's because we're twins this mm. is go with me on this, this gets a okay. little like probably acid popping into my head like from when i was a teenager but it's like <laughs> people you know when you're a twin it makes sense when you're a kid to be together but when you're an adult you move on you get married you have children yeah. you have your own friends you're not hanging out with your siblings all the time but if you are they don't really look that much like you so it's not like visibly obvious and so i think we associate identical twins with children like young people Mm -hmm. or stanley kubrick and the scary twins in the shining like we don't but adult twins together identical twins is kind of weird and (laughs) so the one place sarah and i are always together is when we're traveling yeah and airports and so i just feel like it's like we're freaks you know like every airport we go through it's like people cross a terminal to be like you guys twins (laughs) and i'm like yeah but like i don't know why people are so excited by that i'm like yep we're twins my mom's egg split it's cra- I don't think about the adults hanging out. Yeah, you guys are so connected. Even if you weren't in the band, I'm sure you guys would be still tight and on the same wavelength in a sense, right? Mm-hmm. Isn't that how it works? If you're identical twins, I think so. I think. I mean, I do know twins that hate each other, but um, I don't know. We're writing a book about being twins right now, and I'm, I've been interviewing a lot of twins. I think, oh wow! I think there is something. I'm not at the bottom of it yet. I haven't got to the bottom of it yet. What it is, but 
I think it is weird to go through life with another person who looks like you, who's yeah. similar to you. In our case, but it's normal to you. It's like uh, people on the outside are like it's normal. Like? We're normal to me, but other twins are not normal to me. Oh. I th- also agree that twins are weird. I don't see them in an airport and cross over to, to speak with them. No, but I know you don't say hi to every twin that goes by. No, that's not the kind of. But like <laughs> our equivalent of MTV in Canada, it's called Much Music. Yeah, yeah, sadly, it's like over now. Like we. Went and visited Much Music the other day, and it's just a TikTok account. Wow. <laughs> Shit, you not? I remember Much Music was big. Huge, 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 and they yeah. used to have these big concerts outside. Anyway, um, when we went to the Much Music Awards before it became a TikTok account and only a TikTok account, um, you have to have like a crazy arrival, right? Like you know, arrive in a funny car, or, like okay. you know, whatever it is. And so we've never had never been invited to the Much Music Awards, and we never were again after that. But that year was the year after we'd had like our big pop moment, and we got invited, and we arrived our arrival because we're nerds, was we arrived on a, a red double-decker bus wow. with 18, tw- 18 twins. I don't know how you would say that it. You say incredible. not sets of twins. like So that would be like nine sets of twins and us. So there were 10 wow. sets of twins. So there's 20 of us, and we were all identical twins. That is incredible. <laughs> that was our <laughs> arrival. I think people were like, what the fuck is up with those people? But I was like, we're with all these identical twins. I think it's so badass. I feel like someone's, I feel like I need to put that on TikTok. I feel like that would do well. But is there footage of that? That's incredible. There must be. Wow. I also screamed, I love you at Nick Jonas. And he came over and was like, hey, what's up? And I was like, not like that, Nick Jonas. Are those all three? No, they're identical. They're two. Are they all? No, they're not twins. Are no, they? I don't think so. No, they're all different ages. And then Katy Perry takes you on tour. What album is that for Katy Perry? Teenage Dream, whatever? Um, is that her big record then too? I think so. It was 2015, so maybe, Probably. or maybe after it. I remember maybe she was she, on the Warped Tour. That was crazy. I know. She's so cool. I She's love cool, her. right? I love her. Love I mean, her. I, I love her, too. I love She's her so music. funny. She did so many funny things on that tour to us. Like, she, like, we had our birthday. She's so nice. Like, we had our birthday. We did two shows at the Staples Center, and she gave us the, the big dressing room because it was our birthday. Dang. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and also, like. She seems amazing. She was so nice. Like, she gave us up. I actually think this is very funny, but, like, she had this, like, very kind of like very hot poster she was selling at the at the merch you know area or whatever and she assigned it and put it in our dressing room Aww. with this very funny message like where she was like i'm crushing on both of you something i can't remember exactly wow. what she said but just something like flirtatious which i loved and then also diplo signed it because i think that was when they were still like whatever was happening oh, there that's right and uh I know she was just doing it as a goof, but then we we trumped her goof by getting it framed, and then we put it up in our dressing room for the next year, just like because we thought it was so funny. That's amazing. I loved her. I thought she was really nice. Crowds were cool for you guys. They were. I mean, like closer, and everything is awesome. Like you know, where the songs people understood. Yeah. We just like ran around. It was cool though. We like got like so many emails and people coming up afterwards, like young girls being like, "It was so cool. Like you were playing an instrument, and I want to play the guitar." And like you know, there was like those kinds of like connection moments. I think for people in the audience. And what about the hardcore Tegan and Sarah fans when you guys have a big song on Legos? Do they think this is it? We lost our band. They're not ours anymore. I'm or? sure some people did. Yeah. But I think by that point. I'd be point, so stoked, you know. Like, but you know what? A lot of the diehards, they'd stick around because they did think it was cool. But you know what? Also, like when all this is happening, also I was 35. Yeah. And like. I started seeing less concerts. So I also think it's like normal. Like I feel like a mm-hmm. therapist sometimes to some of like <laughs> our diehard fans who like have kind of like stopped seeing shows. Like, you know, we got a lot of fans who've seen like a hundred shows, like hundred new shows. Yeah, it's so great. And like I recently spoke to one of them and they were like, yeah, I don't really like, I haven't come to a show of your guys' like in five years. Like I don't go to as many concerts, but also like, you know, you got, like, and I was like, you don't even need to say it. Yeah. It's totally okay. Don't worry about it. 
I think it's you saw a lot of shows. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. And also like people grow up, they grow into different totally. things, they like different bands. Some people just don't like to go to concerts anymore. Like we're good. It's all yeah. good. People just get older. Yeah. They can, they can listen to you at home. They have to go to shows. Absolutely. Anymore. Do what you want. Yeah. I love that. What about um so after that record's Love You to Death or is that the Yeah, we put out Love You to Death, which was still pop, but it was like we called it our dark pop bedroom record you know we were like we don't want to open we just want to like do our own shows we want to connect you know do vip like no pressure to make a poppy song after the success of uh, everything is awesome well i mean i'm sure everybody wanted us to go do that but we were like eh. we still did the record with greg kirsten and we we did yeah. some, we did some co-writing I, th- I still think it's like a badass record it has some like i think like you know it has a song boyfriend did decent on radio and stuff but now we were like kind of over it i was like this is hard you know, mm-hmm. three inter- three radio visits a day. Wow. And then play a show probably that night. Yeah, and then VIP sound checks and then like radio sound check. Like, you know, v- I was like, this is too much. I don't want this. And to be honest, like, you know, it didn't, it, it just, it meant a lot of growth, but growth still means a lot of investment. We all of a sudden yeah. had to have so much production. All of a sudden we had a semi. Wow. And I was like. A semi truck. Yeah. And two buses. Was merch going crazy for you guys and everything? Yeah, but it's like it all balanced out. Like in the end, the net's kind of the same. And I was yeah. like, well, if the net's going to be the same, like, you know what I like to do is go to the museum during the afternoon and get a coffee and like, you yeah. know, hang out and be chill. and Check like, out the town. Yeah. Again, this is kind of like cliche to say, but like I just think also we got a little bit older and we were like, I'm good. I'm good. I want to do other things. And that was when after Love You to Death, we wrapped that up and you know, did an anniversary tour for our album, The Con, which was so dope and so fun. And I wish we'd done way more dates. We only did 30 dates, but like we wrapped that up and we had a summit with our management team and we were like, I don't want to be on the, the record treadmill. Like, let's do something else. And so we were like, oh, let's do a podcast or write a book. And yeah, the book ended up happening. And then, you know, we've been on that mode where it's like, like, I don't want to tour 280 days anymore a year. You did that already, yeah. I did it. I did it for 20 years. I miss my family and friends. Time is precious. Now Sarah has a kid. You know, I, I, my life's comfortable. I I still want to tour and I still want to be a band and I love music as an engine. Yeah. But I started to be like, man, I got other stories I want to tell and I want to put those stories in my own words and I love writing and I love connecting and I love talking and like, are there other ways for us to tell our story and to share and like, do I just, I don't, you know, I love, clearly love to talk. But it's like, I don't really want to just do like 15 minute interviews with local papers anymore. And not because they aren't awesome and great. But it's like, you just don't go deep. Yeah. You don't get into anything. No. And I just started to be like, I don't know. Like, I think we're going to have to fill our time with other things. And so that's, you know, we did, we wrote a graphic novel series yep. for for young, young kids. Like it's aimed at eight to 15 year olds. And that first one comes out this spring. And, you know, obviously worked on this show. And we have this thing, a sub stack called, I think we're alone now where Sarah and I, Oh, yeah, that's right. Right about our lives. It's the newsletters, yeah, right? Yeah, and it's like, I don't know, like all that stuff's really fun. And it's like, is it the same, is it like, can I value it the same monetarily as I can touring? No. It's still writing, it's still therapeutic. But it's it's therapeutic and it's fun and it's exciting and it's fine. It's like, I I don't know, like at some point I'm like, I don't know, I don't want a big mansion and I don't drive so I don't have a car and I don't care about gear and like, what am I spending my money on anyway? Just surviving and I have a great partner and so I started to be like, maybe we don't need to tour all the time. Yeah. I don't know. You're in a good place. I think so. We don't. I mean, Junior High comes out next year. Yeah, so the first of the graphic novel series comes out, and it's you know, it's it's a t- it's you know, they were interested. FSG, which is published high school, they wanted something for younger kids, so it's fictionalized. It's set in the present day, um, you know, but it has a Tegan and Sarah at the core who are like queer, but they're in 
middle school and they're crushing on girls and they're, you know, they start a band <laughs> and uh, this, I'm really excited. Like it all kind of like sets up, you know, but they deal with like things like they have to get bras and like get their period and like I fucking, I love writing it. It was so cool. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and then you guys covered you guys covered today the Smashing Pumpkin song. Yeah, we did for the trailer of high school. So we, we had where can to, we find that song? I was looking that's for on, it. It's 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 because it's an a- Amazon show. It's only on Amazon Music. Wow. Yeah, I think probably eventually it'll go somewhere else. But um, we actually spoke to Billy Corgan today. What? Yeah, because he has a podcast. Okay. And is he into wrestling and stuff like that? I think so. I think he owns a wrestling team or something. Yeah. They're on tour with Jane's Addiction. I can't wait to see that show. Yeah, I know. I'm really sad. It was. It was kind of like a very surreal moment because you've seen the show so you know how much we love Smashing oh, it's, Pumpkins. It's insane. And he, we were wrapping up the podcast today and he said, hey, you know, like, you guys need to come up on stage and do a song. You like, on his podcast? Yeah. Wow. And then he was like, you guys got to come up and do a song, which is sort of like, I, I already knew through our management that he was had sort of said that and I was kind of like, oh, that's cool. That's really very sweet of you and generous. And he said, well, where are you guys right now? And I said, we're in LA, we're flying to New York tonight. And well, I, I am. And then he said, "You got to. we're playing Madison Square Garden tomorrow night, you guys got to come up song four Tomorrow? we're gonna do blah 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 and i was like well sarah's not gonna be there and i'm not going up alone so we're not gonna do it but i was like someday um oh but we covered today he's very generous he was really nice you know we saw him multiple times slept in a parking lot to get tickets to smashing pumpkins in, in 11th grade it's no, incredible you know 12th grade went just think about that now you're talking to him today it's just amazing, I know, it's amazing. How life is. oh yeah. my god oh no no it's like you gonna go to the show huge. tomorrow you're gonna feel too nervous you might try to bring you up there if he's hurt, if he i will hears, be nowhere near that show for that exact reason exactly also like I am trying to be like COVID safe because we have a tour starting in That's a week. That's smart. But uh, it was really dope. It was really cool. It's very full circle. I feel very lucky. I'm like, I mean this so sincerely. Like I just cannot believe what we were able to achieve considering what little shitheads we were. You know what I mean? Yeah. And just watching the, the high school show and seeing how you growing up just everything. Yeah. It's just, it's incredible. Yeah. Just And so this year you guys dropped already like four songs already. Now five too as of, as of tonight. This new song coming out. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, we have a song coming Smoking out. Smoking weed alone. Yeah, and I don't. Then, I don't actually smoke. I don't do drugs, but uh, <laughs> I, but I had a dream that I was back in the neighborhood that Sarah and I. One of the neighborhoods we grew in. We moved a lot, but I was back in this neighborhood that the tenth grade is set in for the show. Just to yeah, keep, yeah, it, yeah. keep it all applicable. But and I was in the dream. I knew I was stoned. I hate pot, but you know, in high school we just like smoked. What's so that much time pot. you smoke pot? You think? Well, I I actually had a puff of on my 40th birthday okay and then got the Respect. spins yeah i got the spins and then apparently i told the same story about my favorite stuff down like 900 <laughs> times and i was like that's why i don't smoke what so it'll probably be another 20 years before it i just like i don't like drugs because i don't like to feel out of control yeah so. and um and we did more than our fair share in high school and i truly felt that th- that wasn't a, the choice for me yeah you know it's all Respect, legalized Respect. now yeah it's all legalized now in canada no it's judgment crazy. whatever but uh but anyway i hate pop but in the dream I'm running down the street. You know that feeling when you're a kid, you don't have to have smoked pot to feel it, but like where you're just like outside at night. Yeah. You know, and free and you're running down the street and the dream was, so, I felt like this, this elation. I was so happy, but then I was like, oh no, I'm stoned and I woke up. And so I just had the smoke and weed alone and in my head. And, um, and that's how I came up with this song. Yeah. But the song, wow. the song is, is about, to me, this, the song is it's about way like, deeper than that. It's way something. Yeah. I kind of like lost my light. Like pre-course is about losing my light. I felt like the last couple of years I like it sounds so silly but I got a dog and it's like first time I've had to really take care of something else and mm. it was like very discombobulating for me and she is an awesome dog and is amazing is doing really great but she had a lot of reactivity and we weren't sure why because we did training and we I, 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 I've put way too much pressure on myself and okay and um she just doesn't like it when people approach us on leash to try and try to pet her which by the way don't pet 
people's dogs. Nah. Leave them alone. Without asking or whatever. Just, yeah, they're yeah. on the leash. But anyway, I went kind of into a dark place and my partner is amazing. Sophia's incredible. But you know, she was working two jobs and going to school because she's, I don't know what's wrong with her. She did not need to do all that. But there was a period where she was doing that when we got the puppy. I was very mad at her. I'm like, I'm going to divorce you. Please, I need your help with this. But one day she said she like brought the dog. She'd been at work and was like, hey, can you take the dog now? And she said, I just like turned around. I was in my office and she said the light was gone in my eye. And, and that night at dinner, she was like, you know, it's so weird. You're like the most positive, upbeat person I've ever been around. You wake up every day happy. It's weird because I don't drink coffee. And she was like, you just wake up alive and happy. And you haven't been, like it's clear you don't feel that right now. And I want to figure out how to make you feel happy. Wow. And, fi- and help you figure out how to be happy. And it was weird because I wasn't unhappy, but something had changed. And... um Sarah and I started to make these massive changes in our life, you know, and coupled from our record company and from our management. Yeah. We, yeah, just like a lot of big conversations about like what comes next and, and, uh, that's the song sort of about. And, and then, yeah, our record cry baby is sort of those themes, but more Sarah writes a lot about fertility, the process of her and her wife having a baby. And that's cool. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like the pandemic, we were all just like asking big questions. Funny 100%. today, someone reviewed our record and said, thank God this record isn't a pandemic record. And I was like, mm, it is. <laughs> but also like, why is that bad? Like, I mean, yeah. I had a lot of time to think. Yeah, a couple of years actually. Yeah. <laughs> so you have Fucking Up What Matters came out first, right? Yeah. And then I love the yellow, the Coldplay tribute because I'm a massive Coldplay fan. Yeah, the song, the so- yeah, that. the video is a, is a tribute to Coldplay because Sarah has a song called Yellow and it's we were awesome. like, the song itself has nothing to do with Coldplay <laughs> or that song, but we were like, we cannot put out a song about like called yellow and not have some sort of subtle nod and then sarah was like fuck subtlety let's literally remake the video for yellow and we did and it was amazing yeah you think they saw it no you love coldplay at all no love coldplay yes love coldplay i would love it people if always tease it. me and make fun of me because i like coldplay and have coldplay tattoos no it's my favorite band no 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 no. they're amazing they're so positive Incre- and like know, the live performance them so much it's people are jerks whatever like I what you them. like i know no need to hate yes and they had faded like a feeling came out Third single? Yeah. Are these singles just, dro- just dropping the record here and there? Oh, yeah. We're just dropping songs. That's what the kids do now. They call it water falling, ah. which makes me feel Interesting. disgusted with myself for also knowing. But yeah, we wanted to give people a taste. Faded Like a Feeling is a ballad on the record. You know, I've always been the person who ends my relationships. And a really good friend of mine um, w- had like a severe breakup, you know, while I was write- writing this record. Yeah. Like a very abrupt ending. Um, to a relationship and sort of was on the other side and it was almost like role-playing like hearing okay. her, hearing her talk about what it was like to have such an abrupt ending and not understanding it yeah and feeling really like bad and nothing bad had happened at least from my perspective from my understanding it was just like things had changed mm. and so faded like a feeling you know it's like you know for me i pondered as the person on the other side who has been the one that does that to somebody i yeah. think i just like was reflective about like that I've changed a lot and then in some of my relationships it wasn't like a thing. It was just like I changed and you faded away for me. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> Do you write Good a lot luck. of the songs? Do you write a lot of the songs mostly <laughs> or no? Good luck. Um, <laughs> everything is, uh, our records are always evenly balanced. That's great. Yeah. That's cool. And we really collaborated a lot on this one. Like Sarah's, Sometimes I'm like, you're a jerk, but she'll like actually, re- I'll send her a song. We really demo a lot of stuff out. Like, you know, there'll be like 60 ideas and tracks wow. and melody lines and backing vocals. And Sarah would just like re-record my, I would send her a song. I said, let's send her, not Faded Like a Feeling, but like Fucking Up What Matters, for example, when I sent it to her, she just re-recorded it the way she wanted to hear it and like changed the melody and changed a bunch of words. And a lot of it was dope. But then yeah. I would like be like, just send me the track and I would sing it back the way I wanted. And uh. Sarah's like, you just too many words. So like, you know, she's, 
and Sarah really informed the production. John Congleton, who co-produced with us, is amazing. No ego, at least didn't show it to us. Um, <laughs> and he was like, yeah, you guys clearly have a vision for this record. You know, it's the first time we've um, co-produced a record. This is three three records in a row we did not co-produce, okay. our last three. And we did all the early ones, and we were like, it's time for us to step back into the production um, seat. And so this record is like very much, it was really Sarah, like, you know, her demos, she just had a vision for it and just handed yeah. it to John and he used it as a template. And then Luke Reynolds played pretty much everything that John and Sarah didn't play. And then um, Joy Warnaker, amazing drummer, came and did everything else. And it's just, yeah, it's a badass record. Yeah, do you love the movie Cry Baby? I haven't seen it in forever. God, and I know like these days, it's hard to say that Johnny you, Depp. like I know, it's like, so good. yeah, but. Uh, so no reference to that, to the movie or nothing? No, Sarah had gotten a Cry Baby tattoo while we were in the studio. Um, I th- it as an homage to her fertility situation, like her wife was like due about, well, they had the baby in July. So, um, and we were making the record around Christmas. So they had found out they were pregnant and, um, and there's a song on, on the record in the middle part of the record. My favorite from the record is called under my control. And, um, in the chorus, Sarah sings, I used to be a crybaby," And, um, you know, the song's just like about Sarah choosing her life and choosing her partner and choosing to lean in. It's her longest relationship. And, yeah. you know, they got to that point where it's like, what are we going to do? Are we uh, breaking up and doing something else? Or are we <laughs> love each other forever? Or are we getting married? Are we moving to Canada? Yeah. Are we having a baby? And they just did all those things. And so <laughs> it's kind of a, a head nod to that. For me, similar to heartthrob, I'm appropriating a word that I think is often seen. Like heartthrob is only ever associated to men, which is why I was like, I'm, ta- I'm taking it for us. And crybaby is something we call kids, you know, or call people yeah. and we i think we associate emotion with weakness and i was like i'm appropriating that i don't think being a crybaby is a bad thing i think it means you're in touch with your emotions i cry a lot yeah i, I, like, it's I good. like to cry it's healthy yeah i'm an emotional person yeah God, Coldplay fe- makes me cry feel your feelings <laughs> i watch chris he's so into it on stage i feel my feelings when i'm watching him it's, it's a crazy experience watching them perform yeah did you ever play with them no i've never even seen them live oh my god just see them on tv they're incredible live. It, it's an it's emotion through your whole body. I can't explain it. I yeah. really can't. It's I love that. And that's, not, that's those not, artists. Like I, I think when people are hard on artists like a Taylor Swift or a Katy Perry or a Beyonce or like these people can move a stadium of people. That like I don't think people realize how hard that is. It's hard to hold three hundred people's attention. Hundred percent to, to hold the attention of seventy five thousand <laughs> people crazy. is very difficult. Yeah, and to sustain it for decades. Yeah. Very difficult. Whether you like the music or not, there is a, there's a, it's truly otherworldly to be able to hold that kind of attention for for an extended period of time. People don't understand that. Do you listen to pop music or pay attention like pop culture? Yeah. Yep. And listen to like new, new artists and stuff like that. That's actually why I like TikTok. I discover so much music Mm. there, which I know is like horrible to say because. That's how my son finds things like, yeah. It sucks because you often then you find a song and you know, we need to, we need to invest in the artists yeah. You cannot just like add a song to your playlist. You will, but you know how we actually survive as artists is, is we need more than that. We need you to come to our shows. We need you to buy merchandise. We need you to care in our other ventures, as you know. But I think, um, yeah, I really care. I like new music. I like young artists. I like like music. I think like actually the pandemic was good for me in that way because like I you know was alone a lot and listened to a lot more music than I usually do because I do. I'm like old now, so I like listening to people talk. I love podcasts, yeah, and radio and audiobooks. And then I was like, oh wait, I should listen to music. And <laughs> one of my favorite bands is Imagine Dragons. Great band, like obsessed. It's weird, wow. like, and I know Dan, and I'm on like the board of his foundation, Love Loud, and That's I think he's a wonderful human being, you know. But it's like a weird thing where I like listen to Imagine Dragons a lot. And I want to be Dan. 
that's like where my gender dysphoria comes in where i'm like do i love dan in the magic dragons or I just want to be dan those bands those ba- that band kills it too man yeah wow man the passion and the intensity and like I'm, I'm, I'm envious i just that's not the kind of performer i am and so i want to be that same, same thing with Haley. like i watch you know like all the videos of them like coming back you know it's and incredible like, and i'm just like i don't understand how you can run and jump and sing at the same time i don't know how any of you do it it's like very confusing to me <laughs> I like the new Paramore song. It's so dancey and fun. It's just yeah. it's got an Oingo Boingo vibe to it. Like Love it. New Blink-182 dropped a new record. They're coming back. New song. It's just... I always like pop music. I always like dancey stuff and catchy yeah. things. And yeah. Not everything has to be deep and have it insane. No, but it's like it can be... Like, that's the thing. is like at this era right now, like, I also like am obsessed with, obsessed with Sharon Van Etten and love Dead. Like, do you know Dead? No. D-E-H-D. No. I'll oh, check I it out, though. I feel like you would really like them. Okay. Chicago band. Lead singers... Um, yeah, I just like feel like I just like I like to mix it up. I'm like very all over the place when it comes to music, you know, at home, listen to like so much jazz and oh, that's cool. my partner's Brazilian. And so we listen to a lot of Brazilian music and, um, but I also just love listening to talking. Do you want to have kids too? No. Okay. <laughs> no. Okay. Not because those around <laughs> me haven't modeled something that looks amazing. Yeah. I think, I think even if there was like a tiny, tiny, tiny little piece of me that wondered if, if I wanted kids, getting a dog changed that. Mm. Because of all the reasons I already stated, but also like the day I left for tour, she got stung by a wasp and her face swelled up and I was like, I can't do this. I can't be away. My poor partner. Yeah. What if something happens to my dog? The love that I feel just for my dog. I, yeah. I don't know. I've hit it's the age. Deal. I'm so worried about, not. I don't want to say, I don't want to put that on the end in the world i have like a natural healthy fear that people are getting older and life is passing too quickly and i don't know how i would bring a child into the world and function i also feel like the world is burning agree and so I, I don't know right what now. kind of life you're bringing your kid into it is scary and so i think sarah's going to need a lot of help we call when he was born i made a a onesie for him and it says heir to the throne of super close music which is our company because it's like we'll just leave everything to sid and he can take care of us he's going to be huge his name's sid his name's sid Awesome. And he's going to be huge for sure. Like based on like what I understand of the genetic material that has been combined to make him. Yeah. I'm like, he'll hold us and carry us when we're tiny and frail and elderly. <laughs> like, So it's all good. That's amazing. So you're like, so you're uh, no kids, just no. a dog. Just the dog. We able to live in America again? Yeah, I think so. My partner's like, she's originally Brazilian, but she's American now too. And she's like, well, we joke she's collecting passports because she's also got an Italian passport and she's oh, wow. a permanent resident of Canada. So in a few years, she could become a citizen. So we're a bit nomadic. That's like who we are. You know, yeah. we like to shake it up a bit. We spend a couple of months in California every year. We need to like get out of the Vancouver and the rain. And, oh, the cold. Yeah. But we bought a cabin and a little like half acre um, at the beginning of COVID. We'd been looking. It was weird. The last thing I did before the shutdown was we were like on this island looking at properties. Really? And, I, and it was funny. I was like, I have like a horrible cold. We just come back from LA. It was wow. like early March 2020. And I was like, I have this horrible feeling I'm get, about to get sick. And then I just got knocked out for a week. Wow. But I didn't have a fever. So everyone was like, no, you don't have COVID. And they didn't have tests yet in Canada. So no. I have no idea if I'd gotten it then. But in any case, we <laughs> bought the bought the cabin, got a dog. And that's out of that's like satiating me for a minute right now. But That's nice. Let's get but away. I miss LA a lot. You know, I was here 12 years. Yeah. And um, I, I think I underestimated how connected to my community I was here and, and the city. And, and, and Sophia, when she came here, f- when she moved here from her international life, she also was here for 10 years. And yeah. this was her community and, and uh, is, you know, experiences homesickness as well. So, but 
I don't know. You know, you get older and you want to be close to family. My mom's yeah. in Vancouver, Sarah and the kids. So we'll see. We'll see how the next couple of years shake down too. I don't know. Are we going to be able to tour? Just a lot of questions. I mean, there's a lot of tours going on now. It's like oversaturated. There's so many I know. people playing. And I don't like, we there's were just lot. joking because I'm like, I really hope people come and see us play because we're really excited. The set is so cool. We're playing music from like all the different eras. It's like such a cool band. It's a really lively show. Sarah's playing bass on stage for oh, a wow. bunch of songs. We're doing stuff we've never done before and I really hope people come see the show and I don't mean it in like a because I don't know if we're going to tour again but like I don't know like you never know it's a wild time out there right it now is. like it's really teetering on the edge of like can we afford to tour and like I don't that's no one's problem but mine to worry about so yes. I don't expect anyone to feel bad but right now choosing to go to a show is like bands are super grateful for that and so 100%. so we'll see how it goes but yeah it, it, we're also very lucky and admit that we don't need to rush out to tour because yeah how long has it been since you did a proper tour three years but yeah. it, we did 30 days and it was acoustic we haven't toured with the band since 2017 wow i've done full show so so i'm excited like it's a, it almost feels like a wind up or a promo tour and we'll see how it goes and it kicks off october 26th in philadelphia correct yeah we really need people to come to that show and that's uh i think union transfer i think yeah Great venue. I love that venue. I know. It's going to be fun. And then I, we play I love Philadelphia. Pier 17, the rooftop at, in New York, which is going to be okay. so cool. Yes. It's the only outdoor show on that. Yeah, so it's, it's going to be fun. Look, I'm just like excited. We still get to play music and we'll see what happens. My ego's not in it. It's like, I know it's rough times out there. We got a lot of friends in the industry and it's like, you know, yeah. I've heard words like bloodbath. Um, you know, it's it's pretty rough out there. And, you know, again, like I don't think that it's the job of the fan or the you know community who supports a band to worry but i'm glad artists are being honest about how brutal it is out there because yeah. like every person on our tour is doing two jobs because we can't you know that's what we, we cannot fully staff in the way that we would more appropriately do like you know sarah and i are doing a lot ourselves these days yeah. because it's like bring so it back yeah to the which is beginnings. fine i like that shit like i'm like happy we're very diy like we're it's sick who we are but it's, but, um, but it's, over, it's, like it's a different time. It's spread really thin, right? As far as people working and crew members and buses, everything's just... Oh my God. We're so lucky that someone who's not even touring with us who used to work for a management team was like, if you guys are even considering touring, you should book buses. We booked them a year ago. Wow. Or we would not be going... If we had tried to book those buses even six months ago, it wouldn't have happened. Wouldn't be happening. No, the gas prices, this is... It's wild. I know. Is Hotels? it like in Canada? The gas up in Canada too? Yeah, it got bad there too. Yeah. Yeah, it's everywhere. Is it crazy looking at America through can from Canada sometimes? <laughs> no, because Canada's the same in a lot of ways. Okay. There are different things. There are things that are absolutely stand out different. You know, our separation of church and state is real. Our government is, you know, problematic in its own way, but it's it's, you know, there's more than two parties that are active and make decisions together and so there's just like I feel like government feels more representative. Mm. Um you know, but it's um whatever all the things that happen here happen in canada just on a much smaller scale and we also don't validate them in the way that america does because we don't have 24-hour news playing at all times which is great you know like you can watch those stations but it's about american politics so it's a little different but i mean we had the i don't even want to give it airtime we've we have lots of problems same okay same we we everywhere it's got problems i mean the whole world is we all fundamentally come from the same place which is that we came here and you know destroyed our indigenous people stole the land and um, have been horrible and racist and privileged ever since. And, you know, but Facts. do we have good health care and does everyone get access to it? And, and do, can you get a great public education? And, and, you know, 
is there yeah. a separation of church and state and like yes all those things are better but like you know our houselessness issue and and fentanyl issues in vancouver are brutal like i heard that you know like there's a lot of the same problems yeah a lot of the same problems do you, do you feel in a good place as far as uh being a woman who is queer in the industry and music and the way the world's been it seems at least my son and his friends and their generation yeah are so open-minded it's this generation of kids are so loving and compassionate and standing up for everyone's rights. Mm-hmm. And, and I just feel like from a parent perspective and seeing like my son and how his friends roll and how they act and must be so cool. Yeah. Because like in our day, people will get called a homo or a queer, mm-hmm. but in my son's day, my son and his friends are stepping to somebody calling them a homophobic like that, 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 that exact situation like brought me to tears. Like something happened in my son's school and somebody was saying something to one of his friends and, but back in the day, it's like you would use those words to somebody yeah, in such a harsh manner. But now kids like just standing up for everyone. I yeah. Don't know. No, I think it's a lot. I, I think a lot has changed. I mean, I'm not a young person in school. So, yeah, but I feel very much that these are the kinds of conversations I'm hearing that people are having. Obviously, there's a massive network of GSAs like Gay Straight Alliances across North America. We have a foundation. Yeah. So, yeah. Foundation. You know? Yeah. And so we like know a lot of those networks. You know, we you know, give scholarships to send LGBTQ kids from rural areas and low-income families to LGBTQ summer camps. Awesome. We have a network of 26 camps who do this across the country. It's amazing. That's I could a, go on and on and on about progress and change and whatever, but it doesn't change the fact there's been an 800% increase in regulations and legislation to roll back rights of trans people in this country. It doesn't change the fact that every single day the headlines are about identity, politics, and trans people, and yeah. that that feels bad for every for for all the people who care and have compassion for those people like so it's like it's there's there's still like it's tough in terms of the industry like that that sort of intersection of being a queer woman in the music industry of course it's improved yeah absolutely i think also just even though streaming has has decimated uh royalties and music for artists yeah obviously it's helped in terms of exposure because playlists can really help you can get a playlist and all of a sudden have half a million people streaming your song and like that's pretty cool or a song on tiktok that blows up exactly so there's these positives but and what it's but what it's also done is it's created so much so much more room like in in the last 15 years like there were times where we were popular and it was like only one it felt like only one queer act can be popular at a time only you know and so it felt like sometimes we had to represent everybody and that sucks because I don't represent everybody Mm -hmm. and in the community and so I feel like there was a bit of like there was competition and scarcity um that was scary sometimes for me because I was like, I don't care if it like, you know, I just like about here making a living. I don't represent everybody. I'm so sorry that we don't represent, you know, like yeah. you would have these feelings where you're like, I'm so sorry that we got chosen today. You know, like we used to laugh, like when we would do queer events, like where we'd be like, we're so sorry that we're the only queer act here tonight. Yeah. That we're the, your option. Um, and that has changed so much in the last five or six years since we were really, really like super dominant and active. And that's exciting to come back to like Girl in Red and Janelle Monet and Haley Kiyoko and Halsey coming out as, as oh, you know, right. bisexual and then Muna and Claude and Phoebe Bridgers and like, you know, oh, Phoebe Bridgers too. Yeah. Yeah. And you just like go down the list of all these people who are identifying somewhere on that spectrum, mm-hmm. you know, like so many more trans artists getting like their due. And like, I just, it is different. Like it does feel more like a community. But there's and a lot of work to do still. I think so because I think like it's it's still like mo- like I said earlier it's still like most of what we see is cis and and heterosexual. Yeah. And I think we underestimate how much that informs what we do, what we buy, how we feel, what we support, 
and that still affects young people and all people of ages to still feel like I am I am I am in the margins I am different you know like I am still in a room most of the time being like yeah I'm like the queer person here you know like I got a call on the way here from a friend who's amazing who was like oh yeah I'm like a part of putting together this thing for a new year's thing and like there's no queer diversity at all we need a queer artist and it's like we're still there in a lot of ways but it is really different and the world is getting better and I do think thinking of the positive and parading around the positives and bringing those positives up are good but it's undeniable that there's still like a you know a a massive pushback that happens and this happens in every country that every single country who passes gay marriage or or passes trans protections and those kinds of things there's an immediate increase in hate crimes there's an immediate increase in in, you know prejudice and, and pushback and it is horrible so you know we got to keep we got to keep ourselves up. But we, more than ever, we need our allies. We need people speaking out, speaking up, and protecting. And you know, and people are doing it. and They're doing a great job about it. And I do think social media is helpful because you see more and more and more and more yeah. culture. You know. Yeah, it's an interesting time, especially with social media. Like you said, it just it magnifies everything. It also shows things, and you see people in different countries that deal with different things as far as like mm-hmm. just being themselves and that fear of being just an individual and being comfortable in your own skin and yeah, man. Yeah. It's, it's, it's weird. Yeah. It's like you, you wouldn't think it's that important, but like even over on TikTok, there's a huge, 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 huge amount of like lesbian culture, like posts and stuff like, you know, like I don't even get half the inside jokes cause it's like 23 year olds, but I'm like, these videos are getting <laughs> millions of views and I'm like where queer people used to connect were physical bars, which are, you know, going the way of the dinosaur, like queer spaces are, you know, are being eroded because yeah. we sort of just mainstreamed everything. So yeah. it was just like all bars are for all people, you know, but that was where a lot of queer people used to connect and, and it would also connect online, like message boards, like Live Journal and the Zeta boards. That's where a lot of queer people went to. And it's, but it was like you're hidden in the shadows. You're yeah. on message boards. It's out of the mainstream. And now it's like you go to TikTok and there's this whole lesbian, you know, like King Princess and Fletcher and all these people. And like, and I'm just like, this is hilarious. It's like millions of views on these videos, like make, poking fun at themselves and the community and what queer people are like and what lesbians are like. And I'm just like, that would have been massive for us in our 20s, you yeah. know, because I, I didn't feel like we had any community. It's not because there weren't other queer acts. It's like, how the hell was I going to meet them? I'm on yeah. tour opening for Neil Young <laughs> yeah, and the right. Killers and the Black Keys and, you know, like, yeah, you know. And, and when we finally did get to headline, like, you know, we did get, we almost exclusively were getting women and queer people to open for us. But like, you slowly built up a community, but it was really like five or six years ago, where it was all of a sudden like Muna and Shora and, you know, Janelle Monae came out and Haley Kyoko and all of a sudden in Girl in Red, and we were like, oh my God, this is so cool. There's like all these queer acts. And what was yeah. even cooler was that a lot of them were like, and we used to listen to Tegan and Sarah when we were in junior <laughs> high when they put out their album Heartthrob. And I'm like, what the fuck? That record only came out a few years ago. And I was like, right, these are children. These yeah. are kids. And I was like, right, like this is a whole new thing. And they grew up on the internet and they grew up DMing each other and they have each other and they have community, community. and they support each other. And it's like so dope. I'm like, and this is so didn't cool. have that, but. We didn't have it, but we have them now. Because we're now. like very bossy and we're like, hello, my name is Tegan. I'm Ben called Tegan and Sarah if you need anything. Like for some, <laughs> I, you know, I like to just march up to like any queer band at every festival and I'm like, hi, DM us if you have any questions. But the fact you guys didn't have that too, who knows where you'd be right now or, or the hard work you guys put in or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, it would be going against the grain and all that. Sure. Well, you know what? I'm grateful because the first community that ended up happening around us was when, you know, Chad reached out to me and and when Hunter from AFI befriended me and like all of a sudden 
like and that was the so jealous era so like 2006 2007 in yeah. that era where all these bands and and there, there was like we we they sort of like alerted us to the fact that there was actually a lot of love in the hardcore in emo and punk True. pop world for Tegan and Sarah and I was like and you didn't know that at all not huh? really no wow you know every once in a while like some giant dude would walk by and be like love walking with a ghost and you'd be like oh that's funny and same thing happened when so we tatted up dude yeah <laughs> yeah but like we'd be like okay and then you know like yeah it was like cancer bats and city in color and all these bands like yeah. you know like alexis on fire like uh, you know like started to like befriend us and be like no we love you tegan and sarah but it's like it sounds so dumb now but like you know how would we know that you know like yeah. the internet like it existed but like there was no social media like mm-hmm. you know it was like myspace into facebook so like you know we're getting into now like 2010 yeah. We've been up for 12 years. Like I say this to it's people incredible. all the time, like who who was supposed to be our community? Ani DeFranco? How would we even have <laughs> messaged her or gotten to know her? Yeah. I met Ani DeFranco over uh, Zoom two weeks ago. No way. Uh, you She's know, badass. Yeah, she is badass, but I've been in the industry for 25 I years. Know. So I think we like, just talked to Billy Corgan today though too. Yeah. And that was your inspiration. Yeah, just crossing off the list. I guess <laughs> we just retire now. We finally met everybody. Did you ever play with AFI in those bands? Like once that? We did like one show with AFI. Okay. Uh, no, we didn't, but we... Or like a punk band, like a heavy band? No, but like... I guess like heavier, like harder bands. Like there were definitely, there was this band Communique we toured with, you know, which was like five dudes all playing like instruments loud. They weren't like yeah, a punk yeah, band, yeah. but it was like, you know, intense for our audience, I'm sure. Um, no, probably <laughs> like, you know, Blackies and the Killers and like that, like, you know, Paramore. That's, like those were like probably like the most alternative sort of things we did that I can think of right now. Yeah, because Chris Caraba opened up with a guitar on a, H2O Snapcase face-to-face tour. And it was and a he, cool. Oh, God, I love face-to-face. And he played guitar <laughs> and acoustic in front of this crowd. and They loved it. Yeah, I mean, he was just coming out. It was, it was, it was a tough crowd at times, but he like he killed it. It was incredible to see that, mm. just coming out of the guitar. That was the first time I seen somebody do that. Yeah, we did that too, but we did it in front of like Rufus Wainwright's audience, which okay. was tough. <laughs> they didn't want two lesbians, I'll tell you that. But... Um, <laughs> Are there any bands you would love to play with still? Or are you pretty happy with everybody you tour with? No, I mean, there's, I mean, like, you know, like one time we got some sort of sniffing around by Robin's agent. I'm not sure that is. Robin, Swedish pop star. Okay, okay, okay. You know, Robin, you know, Robin dancing (laughs) on my own. Um, I probably know it if I hear it. You would definitely know, but um, I would love to tour with her. I mean, I love lots, I, you know, like I love Coldplay, like lots of artists we've talked about. Like, you know, I think I'm ready. I think I, I think would kill it. Opening I would 100% go out and open for a big band right now. I'd have no ego about that. I would love to get in front of someone else's audience. I would be happy to like Harry Styles call me like happy to go in front of I'd his open audience. Up a blink for free. You next would? Year? Yeah. For next year. Yeah. It'd be yeah. Sick. It's such a, yeah. I feel like, like I'm open to that kind of free, stuff. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Have you seen gas prices? Um, um, Harry Styles would be awesome. Yeah, it'd be fun. Like I think I I like playing in front of other people's audiences. I love playing with bigger bands. Like you know, challenge. we've been talking about like we literally have been saying like I don't really want to go out and headline headline our own run next year. Like I would rather do festivals and do like kind of like we did with we know the Honda Civic tour with Paramore like in, in Newfound Glory. Like happy to go out and support and do you know we did it with Fun. We did forty five minutes before Fun when they had the, like their massive moment, wow. you know, and that was that was good for us. That was like yeah, that was fine. Like you know, you play ten songs and people know the songs and you have a good time and you sell a decent amount of merch and you're you know off stage by eight thirty and you Chilling. get to watch Game of Thrones on the bus and <laughs> you know and you're winning over people. 
yeah yeah so i don't know i don't i don't know but like yeah no i'm like really open to that stuff i those we didn't have radio we have very rarely in our career had radio how we built our audience was opening for other people yeah yeah so i get to do it i saw my chemical romance last night they played <gasps> six wow. nights out here at the forum wow and i went last night i hadn't seen him like in, i don't know 20 years and my the screams and the sing-alongs. Was it amazing? And the diverse crowd of young, <laughs> old, all kinds of people there. That's it was cool. beautiful. It was like very emotional. That's cool. It was pretty crazy. Yeah. I, I didn't realize them. how big they were. Yeah. I didn't, and like all the different generations of people that were there. I think it's also like, to be honest, also like taking a break. And then obviously, of course, the TV show, like, you know, like yeah. Umbrella Academy and stuff like true that's like you know i would use them as a model of like what sarah and I, we were label mates and like i would use them as a model of something that i think like like i'm glad we haven't toured with a band in five or six years like we needed to take a break we've been on the treadmill for 15 years straight you know like yeah and the high school show too the I think tv awesome show too, and the, the graphic books. novels and like all yeah. this stuff it's like you know it's like it sounds it, it blows my mind but like i hear from Every single day, I'll see comments of people being like, "I discovered your music this summer," and I'm like, "How the hell have not everyone already discovered it? We've been around badgering everyone for so long. Like, how's it possible you don't know who we are?" That's and really then, cool. and then I think to myself, "Thank God, like they don't know who we are. Like, we can always meet new people. We can always make new fans. We can always connect with new people who find smoking weed alone and think like, well, this is a dope song.' Yeah, and like I'm gonna get into this band and like." There's always opportunity. There's always another chance to connect with people again, you know? And Yeah, do you feel like an old band now? Do you feel like that you got to stay relevant? Or do you, feel, you just like, I'm just making music, you're putting a record out, we're going to tour on it. Do you feel like pressure to like be relevant still or just play to the fans you've always had? Or are you trying to, not trying to have a hit song? Or Oh, I don't care about having a hit song, but it, I mean, I would love for a song. Like, I would love it if we got playlisted on a big yeah. playlist because I would love more people to discover our music. More than anything, I want the people who already know who we are to rediscover us and reconnect and realize like, you know, because remember too, like the bulk of our records. Yeah. People bought. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And so like actually bought actually physically bought. And so like, you know, we're in a new phase where it's like, right, we need to convert listeners to streaming now be, and, and also rediscover our old music and connect with us there and come back and see the show. And like, and so I don't think so much about sick. I don't, I don't, I don't set the values the same as I used to, yeah. you know? And, um, and I don't aspire to be like, I don't care. Like, I don't want to be an arena band. Like those aren't the things that I like daydream yeah. about, you know? Um, I would love it if the graphic novels did well and we could write more fiction and we could write for kids. I would love to like follow through every year. We like develop a new podcast idea. They're always like, so cool. But then we're like, Oh, I don't have time. And like, <laughs> you know, like, so, you know, like there are things that I've definitely have gotten to the age where I'm like, oh, I'd love to actually prioritize that. Like I'm developing two other TV ideas with friends right awesome. now. And it does not matter to me. I mean, I shouldn't say that. It does matter to me if it gets made. But if it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's been such a cool experience just to work on stuff with other people and be creative and use my brain in a different way. And I'm you're just, still being creative. You're still writing. And yeah. Still expressing I think yourself. I just think I just think like about that stuff now. Yeah. yeah. Do you have any major regrets? <sighs> Ooh. No. Not really. I don't think so. I think that there are things that in hindsight I would do differently and there's things that I think with all the tools and knowledge that I have now, like I, it would affect some of the decision making that we, but like I don't, there's nothing that I'm like, oh God. There like, there are a few things that I would definitely be like, we should not have done that. <laughs> yeah. But I would never even say them out loud because yeah. cause I can't change it. Can't and, change it. And so there would be no reason to say it. Mm. 
I mean, I was, this is one of the questions. Are you an optimist or pessimist? But you seem super positive. You are, you've always been that way. I think I'm an optimist, but I'm pragmatic. And okay. I'm and I'm and I think I'm realistic. I do think my superpower is that I can reframe things really fast. So like for years and years and years, like every record pretty much we put out, we would get nominated for a Juno, which is Canada's yeah. Grammys. Yep. And then our last record didn't get nominated. And like and the day that that happened, our managers didn't even email us. Like it, there was no acknowledgement about the fact like that we hadn't. And I don't even care about the Junos because <laughs> I don't care. Like not a diss on them. Like it's a TV show. Like it doesn't yeah, really yeah. matter. But like but. Sarah was upset like she was like and why wouldn't our management like acknowledge this or give us some context for why we wouldn't have been nominated and um but then when they did give us the context they're like well like technically you wrote these schools these songs in high school and you just you know made a new record of them now and it was like more of like a companion piece to the book and like they kind of reframed it Mm. and then I did the same thing where I was like yeah like this is not our new album like it was called hey I'm just like you and it came out with the book it's like yeah and that reframing it really helps me it makes me feel better. And Sarah finds it at times incredibly difficult. And like, you know, in my own, like my relationship with Sophia, my partner, like in our couples counseling, like that is something that like, it's okay to just be like, I'm sad that I'm sad that we got left out. Totally. I'm sad. We've never been nominated for a Grammy for our music. Wow. You know, I'm sad that like in the height of our career popularity, we didn't get SNL. Like I can admit that like, I wish that we'd gotten those things, but it's don't dwell upon it either. I don't. And then I immediately in my head, as I was saying that to you, I was like, yeah, but I don't even really care. And SL never sounds good. And like, we just like, we've only ever had one good song, one big song, I should say at a time. And like, you can't be on SNL with only one song. You need two. Like I immediately Mm. fix it in my brain and then I don't feel bad. And I'm just, I'm a reframer. And I just, I, I, I do it really quickly. And it's annoying for the people who love me, who want to dwell (laughs) and live in it. Like Sarah's like, I want to look at the bad review and I want to take it in and I want to do the work on it. And I, that's hard for me. And it's caused lots of tension between Sarah and I because I'm not that person. So, so I'm an optimist, but I'm pragmatic and I have a superpower and I'm, it's, and I feel very lucky to have it, which is that I am, I, I reprocess again and again and again and, and reframe things. And then I feel fine about it. I love that. What about daily rituals? You mentioned earlier, you don't, you don't drink coffee. No. Did you ever drink coffee? I did for about three years and I just, none of the things that it was doing to my body were good. Same. So I, I will have decaf, but if I don't have time for it, I don't care. And it's more of just you drink a, tea. I don't drink any caffeine. Wow. But I love an iced passion tea with no lemonade or no sweetener from Starbucks. I know. <laughs> Why no caffeine? Just because it, it doesn't, I don't eat it. Wake up like this. Mm, I, I have l- so much energy. I love live it. Live at this level at all times. I probably have some sort of like cortisol adrenal issue or something. <laughs> Like I said, you've always said you've always been like this always on tour so annoying I just like it's like 4 a.m. lobby call and I'm in the lobby being like oh my god good so morning everybody and everyone's like fuck you shut up I'm a morning person too my wife hates it yeah I mean I don't want to get up early but like if I'm gonna get up I'm gonna definitely be in a good mood about it you know so coffee made you crazy jittery probably maybe jittery anxiety I, I, it entered my life at a really strange time and I just started having all these weird things. Like my legs were going numb. My heart was pounding all the time. I just like had all these weird things. I was getting a lot of rashes and hives. And wow. most of that probably was food allergies. Um, like I, got, I went to India 10 years ago and got a parasite. I have never been the same. Like my gut, no my gut health is like wacky. But um, wow. But I went to my GP, got all these tests done, wore a heart monitor, did all this stuff. And then she just like was like, you know, 
Like you, you're, you're in a band and you tour and you travel and you sound like you're a really busy person. You've got all this energy to, you know, whatever we do this whole thing. She walks me through all this stuff. And then she's like, in the last year, this all happened in 2018. She said, this last year, you've just been writing a book. I'm assuming that just means sitting around probably like a lot. And I said, yeah, like eight hours a day I write. And she was just like, I think like you need to get more exercise and stop Mm. drinking caffeine. And then like all the symptoms went away. So yeah, I don't drink that. But my ritual, I, um, I don't need an alarm clock. Okay. What time do you wake up usually? It, whenever. But like, you know. Not like, five in the morning, right? No. Like I, I wake up. Well, I wake up like what feels like hundreds of times a night, but it's probably just a handful. But I'm like usually awake around 4.30 or 5 and I lay there and I daydream. And it's my ritual and I love daydreaming. Wow. I don't call it insomnia. I renamed it. It's not insomnia. Sometimes it happens at 6.30, whatever it is. I will not get out of the bed until <laughs> I've spent a half an hour visualizing. Sometimes it's like things I want but mostly it is just daydreams I just fantasize that's incredible weird like random things I just like have entire lives I've lived in my head and it just I just love the feeling of just laying there and I've been doing it since I was a little kid wow I used to do it to fall asleep and I do still do it to fall asleep I would Sarah and I used to lay in bed and we would come up with a story you know I'd be like okay I run a shop and we sell robots and the rope each robot does this thing and I would like imagine and visualize it and then Sarah would be asleep and then I would fall asleep and now I oh, do the man. same thing but now it's like way more interesting than stupid robots who wow. just do shit around the house but um yeah my ritual I will knock and that's why I don't have an alarm because I don't want to wake up in yeah. that way so I just like it's probably it's like startling to do that in it's alarm. startling and yeah. like it's probably not good that I don't like I that I feel like sometimes maybe like the fact that I don't, maybe I'm not going into a deep enough sleep and that's why I don't need the alarm clock. I'm not sure what's going on. But either way, <laughs> I visualize every morning, but it's not technically like textbook therapeutic visualizing. It's, or meditation it's, or anything, yeah. it's not meditation. It's, it is, it's more like fantasy, like just creating worlds, thinking things through and it's all pleasurable things. It's never bad. It's always like hanging out with someone that I miss or, you know, um, does that stuff happen sometimes when you visualize it a lot? Yeah, I'm making it happen. Yeah. That's what I feel like. Yeah. I think I'm making it happen. I think about like, you know, like last night before I fell asleep or this morning, like I'm thinking about like this week and press and what the flight's going to be like tonight and, you know, like whatever it is or like, you know, seeing someone like I'm going to see friends this week and like I imagine that thing, but then it gets crazy because it's a fantasy, right? So then like yeah. something absurd happens, like I'm hanging out with this person and then Drew Barrymore walks by and she's all like, Tegan. <laughs> I'm like, what? You know, it's like, they, it's fantasy. So it, com- it leaves reality really quickly, but it's, it's pleasing. It's like sometimes, wow. sometimes I imagine running. Do you run? Yeah, I do. Okay. But then if I just laid there thinking about running, I don't get up and run, but like I felt like I ran. Yeah, that's my big ritual. Other than that, I'm just like I'm very A type. Everything's very ritualistic. I have patterns. Everything's patterns and organizing and putting things away. I live like a what I imagine super clean freak, serial killer, <laughs> like lives like no super organized. Yeah, everything in its place. Wow, you have labels on things and post its and stuff. No, like? but like if I use something, it's got to go back where it belongs when I'm done using I it. I respect and that. Yeah, can't can't go to bed if we haven't like you know puffed the couch pillows and like put everything away <laughs> Do you make your bed yeah that's super important yeah it just sets the tone for the day and then you come back to it and it's like it's like something new i don't know it's something really nice about making your bed yeah and i like like open all the blinds open all the windows air the house out even when it's cold i like walk around i guess i do have a lot of rituals i like wake up and go downstairs like my partner doesn't care about some of these things as much but she lets me do it but i go downstairs she'll have been up for like an hour working and i'm like all the blinds go up patio doors windows everything open put on some music you know it's a vibe yeah and like even when we got the dog and sophia had this job where she just had to get up really early because it was like she was working for this company that was 
international and she would have to get up at 530. I don't want to fucking ever get up at 530 in the morning. Mm. She would take the dog out first. And when she would leave with the dog, I would lay in bed until she left because I didn't want her to see me do this. But then I would run downstairs and I would set all the lights and I would light some cedar and I would like cozy up the space for her and like get the coffee going and like that's so nice clean whatever hellish thing our dog had done in the crate overnight like tear apart its bed piss on or whatever thing that was like driving me insane or whatever and like, reset everything frantically and then run back upstairs and like lay in bed but she, i just wanted to know that she like came into the house and it was fine because like she probably would have just come in and like sat in the dark on her computer or something i just couldn't handle that wow and that's so nice yeah i'm nice are you are you a hopeless romantic I fear sometimes I'm not romantic enough, okay. which is weird because I feel like that's my job is like I write love songs and reflect. True. But I've set, admitted this to a friend recently who I talk about relationships a lot and realize like my hobby is th- talking about love. And um, I don't know what I am. I'm sentimental. I'm very, very devoted. Yeah, you seem like it. And I'm very f- focused. You're a giver and you like. Yeah, and I'm like, so... And I'm words. I'm I give love in whatever way you want me to give it. So yeah, if you 100%. need words of affirmation and or acts of service, I'm there. I'm to kill it on those things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like my partner and I are both pretty pragmatic, you know. Like, but I mean, like I have, I get a tattoo for her every year. You know, every year. Yeah, like I have like. How a, long have you been together? Seven years. Seven like I have like a, like I have like the. The, the sign of the restaurant we went on our first date oh, you know like on, so so i guess i am a romantic so but in a weird way like we don't do gifts you got seven tats though yeah well wow. I, i'm i'm down one but like i will get a seventh one yeah i saw you had a tribal tattoo that's amazing this was my first one right off the wall 1998 no way yeah and it's so cool you still have you didn't cover it up i know it's such want- a 90s tat i've tribal too Everyone keeps telling me that tribal's coming back, well, they, so not to get rid of it. They say you, you haven't been tattooed unless you have some piece of tribal. So should I leave it? No, that's so cool. Uh, uh, so my ta- one of my tattoo artists, I, like every tattoo artist I ever get tattooed, I'm like, can, can, can you cover this? And they're like, just get it removed. Yeah, you could do that. I don't know what I'm going to do. That is so cool. You have do you regret piece. your tattoos? I've been getting some lasered recently. It's, you, really, it's really fun Are and you painful. making space? or is You're it making space, yes. Yeah. I regret my tattoos. I mean, I talked about that recently. I have a tattoo of E.T. E. on my leg. It was my favorite movie. And it's kind of <laughs> weird having E.T. on my leg, but I love that. Yeah, because you're like such a grown person now. Yeah, but I still love it. It still makes me cry when I see it, though. I mean, it's a very emotional movie for me. Hmm. Um, I have some weird tattoos, silly ones. Do you have ones that you feel are potentially didn't age well? Not in like the way they look. I mean, like maybe like they're not appropriate now. Like No, nothing like that. Just maybe poorly done or like hmm. they're blowing out. They're all you can't even read like I, my first tattoo is the meat is murder gorilla biscuits and you can't even read meat is murder yeah, like yeah, that, yeah. 1988 yeah just silly stuff like that and i don't know i love covering them up now like i have like a lighter one but i am getting lasered so i can make more room and yeah my partner's it, having all her tattoos removed really yeah that's so laser painful. hurts yeah it's pretty quick but it hurts yeah like but you're gonna just keep doing it and then i just can't stop this like i don't do anything else like, this is my main yeah thing my whole life is just getting tattooed. you don't do anything this is the only form of would you ever get any on your face no yeah i love my wife too much and she would she'd be sad to divorce me yeah. yeah some people are good with it it's not really my thing you know what i mean like yeah. i don't know yeah I, i've done crazy I, my whole head is tattooed my neck all that but like some people look really cool with face tats and some people i'm just like i don't know i'm I, cool yeah you know yeah. what i mean would you ever tattoo your face no <laughs> <laughs> no it's I, bad I, enough that i have this piercing like i had a, my lip pierced like in high school i got it and, it, and it's just still when a scar i was 16 there? well yeah because i wore those like till 2015 and then i did this woman briefly 
who was rude about she was like take that out you're not a fucking teenager anymore basically wow and i did but it's it's so much scar tissue it's like i i actually have to get the scar tissue removed and then one stitch and i no longer have a hole in my face yeah and people are always like who cares leave it but like it's a pretty big hole like i we get we photoshop it out of our press shots because wow. it's like it's very visible when you're around me you don't notice it yeah, don't notice. and what's really odd is sarah has a mole in the exact same spot so we actually both look like we just have a mole but like mine is a hole like if i took a sip of water and laugh like water comes out it's like no way yeah it's okay i mean i had the piercing for 20 years wow and i played it with it constantly i guess 20 years i'm bad at math because i'm a musician <laughs> did you put it back in when, when you and your lady broke up no because she was right because you know what? I had to go to a way smaller ball, like on the end. Oh, yeah. And it used to slip through the hole all the time because, like, I really had stretched it out. And yeah. it fucked up my teeth. I'm going to have to get gum grafts. What? Because of a piercing? Yeah, because it wears down your gums. Oh, yeah. And, like, you don't want that as you get older. And, like, apparently that, you think fucking removing your tattoos is hard. Do like, you hear the sacrifices that we all go through to uh, make ourselves try to look different? You know what I mean? It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Right? But, yeah. Um, I was going to ask you one more thing. I was going to ask you over here. Uh, 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 uh. uh. It's in my notes right here. Hang out. Um, I think it's fine. I, I did rituals. Oh, your last real job. What was your last oh. real job? My last job with like a proper paycheck was working at a coffee shop called Grabba Jabba. Grabba Jabba? Yeah, I got the job um, after I graduated high school. My mom told us we could have the summer off. I had worked all, all through 12th grade. I'd worked at a place called Robin's Donuts. And it was inside of a Canadian tire, which is kind of like a, a REI. Okay. And... um. And it was horrible. I worked three afternoons a week and Saturday morning, a six hour shift. And then Sunday, the afternoon shift. Like I worked a lot my senior at high school, which was, by the way is a mistake. If my mom's listening, like you wonder why I barely got out of high school. It's like, why was I working so much? Mm, you exhausted. What did I need that money for? You know? Yeah. You know, by then I didn't do drugs anymore. So like, I don't know what I was doing. I don't know what I was doing. Anyway. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I graduated. I, qu- I quit the job. Basically, we won this contest, this Garage Wars contest in our senior year of high school in the, in the spring. And then all of a sudden, the entire Canadian industry knew who we were. And we were being like offered demo deals and major labels Crazy. were coming to see us. And all these things happened. And so anyway, I quit my job at Robin's Donuts. And my mom said, you have the summer off. And when you turn 18, you need a job. Because if you're not going to college, then you need to work if you're going to live in my house. And my, my mom and my stepdad split up. And, uh, and, and my mom was like, you need to go to driver's ed. I'm tired of fucking driving you to your gigs. Mm. And so... Basically, after we turned 18, um, you know, I spent five days a week working at this place, Grabba Jabba, serving coffee. And then when I come, I worked mornings and when I would come home in the afternoon, I would cold call coffee shops and see if they had open mics that Sarah and I could play. You know, we'd get a hundred bucks and could sell tapes or whatever. And I would try to book us one or two gigs a week. Wow. And, um, and like that was sort of my day job. And then when I started to make enough money doing coffee shop gigs and getting random opening gigs and stuff like that I quit Grabba Jabba and the owner's name was Zool and they were they never bothered to learn my name or get me a shirt or a name like a shirt that was my size I was wearing like an extra large and they never got me a name tag and my friend Melissa had been the one that got me the job and she was basically like running this restaurant even though she was 18 and I talked her into it. I was like, I don't know why I needed to get her to quit the same time as me because I couldn't do it alone. So I talked her. I was like, they're taking advantage of you, Melissa. I you worked on quit it. With you. you need to quit with me. And so we went to their other location. And I don't remember what Zul's wife was but or what her name was. But she, they, we went in and they were like so fancy in my memory. I don't know if they really were. But they were sitting in their other restaurant, which was this coffee shop in the <laughs> Stock Exchange building, downtown Calgary. And we walked in and they're like, hi, Melissa. And then just looked at me like, 
who a garbage person like are you that works out or other thing or whatever <laughs> my giant shirt and uh melissa's like i feel like i'm being taken advantage of and i asked for you know a raise i think they were paying her like six dollars an hour and they're paying me 450 or something like wow. that and she was like and i'm done with it and they're like no melissa like in my head it's like very dramatic but like i verified with melissa this is pretty much what happened and she's not hyperbolic in any way so this is like i do believe sort of what happened Legit, yeah but she was basically like no you're taking advantage of me and this job sucks and I could go work at co-op, which was like a, a grocery store in Calgary, you know, and make $9 an hour. And they're like, we'll pay you whatever we want. And I could see Melissa was on the edge and I went, no, you know, she's done or whatever. And then I took off my grandpa Java shirt. I had an undershirt on and threw it down on the table and Melissa did the same thing. Oh, wow. And then we Walk walked out, out of there. That's and it amazing. Was, it was Christmas Eve, wow. 1998. And what is your friend doing now? Do you know? Yeah. Melissa lives in Chico, California. She's a teacher. Nice. She's got a great partner and they have two kids and they're just amazing people. We're friends with all our friends from high school. They're all amazing people. They all are so cool and do such interesting things. And It's amazing. And you never get your license. No. And I can drive. Like if they're well, emergency right now and you're like, <laughs> my keys, they're over there. Tegan, quick, get me to the hospital. I'm like. But why didn't you do it? You just didn't, it's, <sighs> it's like a whole other hour, Toby. I don't okay, know what to okay, say. Okay. There's some I'm sort of I'm a terrible block. driver. I, yeah, I didn't get my driver's license until I was 33 mm. when I moved to LA because I grew up in New York and didn't yeah. have to drive. I barely drive. I don't drive on highways still to this day. That's funny. I don't own a car. I sold my car a year ago. Amazing. I walk. I bird. My son has a car. I use bicycles and skateboards. Yeah. I just same. It gives it gives me anxiety. I, I can't explain it. I can't either. And like I wondered sometimes if it was linked to like well, first of all, when I was in high school, I was just like intoxicated all the time, so I knew better than to even bother getting my driver's license because so if, smart. Because if I got my driver's license, I wouldn't have driven intoxicated. I just wouldn't have been able to do drugs or drink anymore, and that was like definitely not an option. And then. <laughs> We grew up in Calgary. It's all highways. It's really far. It's like cold as fuck, like eight months of the year, icy, whatever. And I just think I was probably scared. Yeah. And then I moved to Vancouver when I was 19 and nobody I knew had a car. Still to this day, barely anyone. Like it's so expensive and it's a small, it's like a San Francisco, like you don't really need a car. Yeah. And you know, people just were constantly like, you need to get your license. You need to get your license. And so probably I also built an aversion. Yeah. Calloused a bit inside of me is like, I don't need it. I don't need it. I love the, like athletic part of it like the health part of it i love that my footprint's small because my footprint isn't small i fly and drive around in a gas guzzling tour bus so i think then it became a kind of like a climate activist action which is probably just an excuse then (laughs) recently i went through a whole other phase where i was thinking about it a lot and was like when i was doing driver's ed when i was 18 i came home from work one day and was waiting for the you know person to pick me up to go do the driver's ed and when I got to the house, my front door was open. And, you know, Sarah and I worked different jobs. And so I walked into the house and was like, Sarah, like cause the door was wide open. And there was a burglar in our house. And him and I were face to face. Wow. It took me a minute to figure out what was happening. He was like completely shocked. He clearly had cased our house and knew that we weren't going to be there. So he looked completely shocked. Holy shit. All the doors and windows were open. Like clearly like had created like an escape, you know, route for himself or whatever. Yeah. And we just like were looking at each other. Like you and me are looking at each other right now. Wow. And I was like, Sarah? Like thinking like, is this a friend of hers? And then it occurred to me what was going on. And he dropped the bag. He was a young guy. Dropped the bag that he was holding and ran. And it's like weird. Like I suppose some part of me, like there's probably trauma around. Yeah, for sure. That like time in my life because I just graduated high school. My parents were splitting up. My secret girlfriend had moved to another country. I decided not to go to college. All my friends went away for school. I was working a shitty fucking grab a jabba. (laughs) My mom wanted me to drive. I didn't have any money. It was going to be a band. Sarah and I hated each other. I just think it's probably I'm locked up somewhere there. Totally. But then I moved to LA and everyone was like, well, now you're going to really have to drive. And then I lived here for 12 years and I didn't drive. And only like a few of those years, like only five of them, there was like 
Uber and Lyft because like I moved here it's like 2008. Yeah, so how are you getting around? Just random friends, rides? Friends, yeah. the bus. Because I live in Echo Park in downtown for 10 of the years. And so like, I don't know, I just like walk, friends. So you never owned a car? Well, that's funny. Sarah and I bought this station wagon when we were taking driver's ed because my mom was like, you're getting a fucking car. I'm not driving. Station you. wagon. Yeah, we named him Woody. He had blue velvet interior, <laughs> wood paneling, and he was parked in my mom's, you know, backyard, like in the, on the, on the, you know, parking pad for about a year. And we didn't we the day we bought it off my uncle was the only time we ever sat in the driver's seat wow and we just like we're so fucking stubborn and we just didn't get our life sarah still doesn't have it doesn't and her partner's wow. making her do it because they have a kid now yeah and stacy was like this is ridiculous the day that's like the night stacy went into labor sarah had to call my mom to pick them up wow. to the hospital. <laughs> and she was like okay you know what i'm pathetic and that happened to me because my partner got really sick in la once and we had to go to the emergency and we had to we had to take a fucking uber oh shit and i was like you know what this is pathetic that i cannot take care of my my partner mm. i feel really bad about this yeah but uh but that was like five years ago and look at me still a dipshit <laughs> that doesn't drive <laughs> my wife did the same thing i did in my license she said when our son is born if you don't have a license you are not going to be there when the baby is born so i i went and got my license like i bust a mass i failed the test three times and i got and she obviously she's joking but it really put yeah. a fire in me and then i drove her to the i drove like a I drove under the speed limit. I drove so scared. I was so scared driving into the hospital. <laughs> when my son was born, but now so I I, barely, I still barely drive though. You know, it's like, yeah. I I, I think like more and more. I think less about it, but I don't know. I I think it's a skill I want. A part of it is I'm frustrated because it takes a really long time. It takes like almost two years to get your license in Vancouver. Really? Yeah, because you have to hold a learner's permit for a full year. Wow. And then and then you get a what they call a new license, so you have to drive in the car with somebody, like who is like over a certain age that holds a license. You cannot have one drop of alcohol. It does not matter what one age drop. you are. Not even one drop. Like there's a lot of rules and stuff like that, which I think is amazing, but it's incredibly inconvenient because I just like, like, can I just have my license? I can drive. Yeah. But that's ridiculous. That's not, not how, it works. how it works. No. And last thing, do you like hip hop at all? Any hip hop? I do like hip hop. Do you have any, do you have any favorite hip hop groups? I know it's super random. It is kind of super random. I mean, um, there's this hip hop artist from Vancouver, Comortal, who I love. Um, I Phil- love hearing about new rappers. Yeah, yeah, Camaro's amazing. Um, I love them. Um, Any American hip hop stuff? I mean, hi, Mama. <laughs> <laughs> hi, Any- Moon. Um, um, I, I mean, when we were in high school, I was like obsessed with the Tribe Called Quest. Woo! That's incredible. Yeah. Hello. And then what is what is like an artist that people would kind of trip out that you like that would be surprised that you listen to? Well, people always act so strange when I say like Imagine Dragons, which I don't know why yeah. because they're amazing. Yeah. But um. And Coldplay, obviously, yeah. Yeah, I don't. <sighs> Tribe Called Questing is pretty amazing. Yeah, it makes me happy. Well, we grew it's up in favorite. like very, very diverse neighborhood, and a lot of the kids we grew up listen listen to to hip hop and okay. rap. And my partner almost exclusively listens to hip hop and rap. Oh wow! Which is strange, um, and odd because like when she was a kid, she grew up. She learned English listening to Hanson. Which really? I think is hilarious and Eminem. Wow, that's how she learned English. And then when she was in college, she was obsessed with Friends, which is how she became better. Like now, she speaks. I mean, she speaks better English than <sighs> I do. But so yeah. But I, I admit I don't listen to a lot of hip hop and rap. But I but I do. Yeah, probably the most recent would just be Kimortal, and I think that they're really awesome. I, there's probably others, but I my brain freezes that's when okay. when asked to pick favorites. It's crazy. Eminem turned fifty yesterday. That's that, wild. That's crazy. And it's well, that's it's the first Tegan and Sarah song really. Um, Tegan didn't go to school today. Yep. I missed you. Wow. Mm-hmm. That was so cute. Proper that was one of my favorite parts of the show. Yeah, proper earworm. Wow. 
That's the first official lyric song, I guess, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think both of us admit that we think there was one that we were kind of fussing with before that, but we can't remember anything about it. And I, I, I think, yeah, but Sarah wrote, uh, Tegan didn't go to school today. Um, I was staying homesick and she borrowed a pair of my purple etnies. Yes. And I was like, you can borrow them, but do not lose them. It's so cute. Yeah. And also your piano lessons too, like where... Um, I feel like I need... I, you didn't want we learn, were good. You didn't want to learn We took that classical, song. but you know what though? Like the depiction on the show is not it all. We were, we took classical piano. We were, we took um, Royal Conservatory classical So you're really good training. piano. We were good, but Sarah's starting this whole thing. Like she's in interviews telling people we weren't good. But what it was, we didn't like it. We didn't apply ourselves in any way. We, we did the absolute minimum. Yeah. That was cute. Like if I could play this song, first you have to learn this song, but then. Yeah. And then I hear you play the Smashing Pumpkins song. Yeah. I thought that was awesome. Yeah. And I think like that sums up sort of like a thing that happened around that time, which was we'd been in lessons and musical theory and conservatory classes and stuff. And when we started writing songs, we were like, we don't want to have to do piano anymore. And my mom was like, you either need to be in guitar lessons or piano lessons. And we stayed in piano lessons because we didn't want to ruin the guitar. Mm. Because I didn't want anyone to tell me what to do. We went to one lesson and some guy's like, and then this is that you do this shape. And I was like, yeah, okay, cool. I got all the shapes. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> and I know about as much about the guitar as I know knew then now. <laughs> like we were in rehearsals all this week and our musical director's like, so, and it's a D like add the seven. And I was like, lady, I don't know what the fuck you're saying. Can you come show me? So you can't read music? No. And Heather, God bless her. She's so patient with me. I've been playing music for 25 years and I'm like, what key is the song? And jokes. I have no idea what that means. Wow. Wouldn't mean anything to me. You never tried to learn anything. It's huh? like my driver's license. They live, okay. in, they live in the same category in my brain. I somehow managed to have a career, make 10 albums, have lots of success. Don't have a clue what's going on. <laughs> well, since this podcast comes out three days after, Crybaby is now out everywhere. So this, Thank, will, yeah. this will come out three days after. On this Okay, great. Out. I hope everyone go listen, go listen to Crybaby. It's out now. Uh, there's a smoke, smoking Weed Alone has already been out. Yep. Um, now the whole record's out. Yep. Oh, also, I Can't Grow Up also. There's another song you guys have dropped as well. Um, I'm so happy you came here. I could talk to you for hours. I know you have to fly tonight. I know. You're flying to New York tonight. I'm scared to ask what time is it. Is that I already missed it? Uh, it's 820. You're good. Oh, no. Time for me to go. Um, and, you're and you fly to New York? Yeah, I'm going to New York. We're uh, More press? We're doing press. We're doing an in-store at Rough Trade. We're playing Rough Fallon. Trade in-store? Wow, that's old school. I know. Oh, we love stuff oh, like that. We live, live for it. That's like, it'll be my happiest day. It's like a throwback in real life. That's incredible. I know. I love that stuff. Yeah, we're going there. We're doing that. We're doing Fallon. And then we start the tour in Philly. And just swing by. You put doing Fallon. That's awesome. Yeah. So Fallon be out. When was that? When's that? I think we... Well, we tape it on... 27th i think okay so this is already out okay yeah that's incredible that's awesome yeah and then i saw you be playing in la i'm gonna come out to that show that's yeah. like pretty soon that tour kicks off october 26th i know mid-november yeah i'm excited and i really do think we'll you know tour again next year and you know i mean we'll yeah. see we'll see but this is incredible to have you here and like catch up with you that's why i love this pod and just love your positive attitude toby it's so nice to be back here it's so lovely to talk to you so glad your family's doing well it's been fun watching max grow up over instagram and you know you're killing it thank you this has been awesome, and, and you, you, you have a good, uh, you can talk, and I love that. I love that you just killed it. You just <laughs> covered everything. I'm sorry, all my notes, everything. We always joke, Sarah and I, were like, if we could have somehow made a living talking, we would have definitely gone into that field first. If <laughs> well, I you know do have a podcast, choice. though, right? We're, we, well, we don't have a podcast, but we do Substack, and it's called I Think We're Alone Now, and we tape the audio for it all, and we do all the soundscape, we okay. sound design. So it's sort of our, our, our baby step into it. We will eventually do a podcast. I, I think, think you should do I have it. a lot of ideas. I think you kill it with a podcast. Yeah, I think it'd be fun. I just like we need to be home. I want to like do something really you know, different and cool. But, but, but you know, I love conversation. I love talking to people. I know. You're it's the best part it of is, our job. This is amazing. 
Thanks. It doesn't even feel like it's been two and a half hours. I know. It really flew by. Thank you so much. And uh, thanks for listening, everybody. And you can find uh, Tegan and Sarah on the gram. Do you guys have a website, too? Probably Tegan and Sarah website, whatever. Yeah, Tegan and Sarah. Merchandise, oh, tour dates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything's there. Okay. Everything's awesome. Yeah. Bye, everybody. Everything's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> So we just decided we'd come back on the pod because I love talking to Tegan and I just told her I'm going to therapy and I don't go into uh, airplane bathrooms. I don't lock the doors. I sit in the backseat of the airplane. I'm trying to figure out my, my problems and she's about to break down some uh, reality about flying for me. Thank you. Well, so here's the thing. My partner, since we met, we've been together seven years, very afraid of flying and she used to have to take like Klonopin, like basically a tranquilizer to even get on the plane, which as soon as we started dating, I was like, I don't think this is the right thing for you to take to fly because you know, it really messes you up and it makes you feel out of control. And as a person who has a lot of control issues and doesn't do drugs, I, I don't think I like she doesn't either. So I was like, you know, she barely even drinks. I was like, I don't think that you should be getting yourself messed up to be on a plane. So she started investigating different routes to make herself feel better because like, I mean, it was awful. It was very, very scary to fly with her. She walks off planes. She walks off planes before they take off. Mm -hmm. She like didn't go to her best friend's like birthday, like, like, you know, like a year ago because wow. the morning she got up, she just had such crazy anxiety. She couldn't do it. And so she, she did this program, which I, I'm going to send to you because I think you might like it. And I'm apologize because I don't know the name of it off the top of my head, but it's, I'm sure if you Google Captain Tom fear of flying, it'll come up. Okay. Um, but she did this program and it was really amazing. And, and you know, like, you know, like the first time that she flew after she did the program, she was feeling anxious and he tells you, call me. And we were like, oh, it's probably like some hotline or whatever. But it's like, nope, Captain Tom answered the phone. Wow. And talked her through the situation and she got on the plane. She did like this whole thing. Like she, you get a tour of the airport, you get to meet a pilot, like this whole thing. That's incredible. And it really helped. It took her anxiety from like a 10 to a two, but it still existed for her. And so she recently actually started seeing a therapist it's been six months it's been absolutely revolutionary it's changed her life but he is he specializes in phobias mm. like debilitating phobias okay and like as soon as he started seeing her he was like this isn't about flying you know and i won't get into like what her personal yeah, stuff yeah, is totally. but like he was like this isn't about flying and you know it of course it's not for most people right it's yeah. about it's about dysregulation and like how to learn how to regulate yourself and clearly a lot of us, you know, depending on how we were raised and, and how our upbringings, we didn't necessarily learn how to regulate ourselves. Yeah, I'm so curious to see what mine stems from. I cannot wait to like yeah. deep dive into my mind. But it's been incredible. She's been seeing him for a couple of months and uh, she had to fly for work a couple of times in the recent months and she was like, I'm, I'm a zero. Like I wasn't afraid. Wow. But, they, but there was a really interesting, pro like, um, like, I don't even know what the word is, like strategy that they use, but um, it's like, called, again, I'm, I'm going to stumble through this, but it's like Velcroing. So like they basically use this mo model where like they velcro things that release dopamine or, or gotcha, yeah, serotonin yeah. you know so a lot of women for example like who've had children might imagine like breastfeeding or their child and that like releases that feeling and they velcro it to like every stage of like heading to the airport getting into the airport checking into your flight that's what gives me the, the most stress like leaving and going through the process yeah and so they velcro these things that bring you that that serotonin or dopamine or whatever wow. and so but she struggled the first time she went through the program with captain tom because she didn't have something like that so like you know she's like i don't have children i didn't breastfeed like with a lot of men sometimes they use sex like she was like you know so she'd gone through this whole thing and then she went back to see him after we got a dog and she said have you ever tried it with pets have you ever tried velcroing like this whole thing with pets and he said no let's try and so she has this folder on the plane and you literally, quite literally, like put the images next to each other of like all the different stages of flying. But then with these images she uses of this dog and she goes through all this therapy and then she does her first flight and she gets on the flight, puts on her, you know, headphones and like looks 
through these images and like again i was saying this in the kitchen this is when you got excited but i was saying that he was the one that was like don't focus on what if focus on what is and like anxiety that. and fear is based on what if and you have to live in the what is totally what is and it's it's been revolutionary for her it's changed her life you know and it doesn't it's not like overnight she was like a different person but she's like i said going through this other trick you know therapy that's been like super super monumental because she's so that. stoic and strong and a type and amazing and a boss and like she's like in charge of everything and like getting on an airplane is about letting go and yeah. that's about like losing control 100 percent. and uh it's not easy no you have no problem flying well i flying with her was hard for me because it's contagious when someone's mm, afraid and then you start, okay because you're really really hyper focused on like what they're feeling and so then you're hyper focused on what's happening on the plane and and mm. that was partly how i motivated her because we had one flight in particular where I was like, you have to deal with this. It is so unpleasant to be on a plane with you. Yeah. And it's like creating fear in me. And, um, but otherwise, no, I love playing or I flying. I can't wait to get on the flight. I want to thank my band because they all sit in the back rows with me because that's the only no. way I fly for the whole time I've been in this band. We all sit by the bathrooms. And Is your biggest fear crashing or no, is it I, a nebulous I, anxiety just I, about I being I don't on even think about it. I, the process of, of leaving my house, going through security, um, getting in my seat, putting the seatbelt on, and then that weird time frame where it's like, okay, you have to stay in your seats until the takeoff, and then sometimes if the flight's just waiting, and then it's just on the runway, I just I start freak. I don't know why. Then once it goes up in the air, I'm totally cool. My stomach goes away, like my any kind of it's strange. But then the whole bathroom thing, being afraid to get locked in there, and being way by the back, I sit by the bathrooms all the time, and I barely use the bathrooms. But I'm just I feel like the back of the plane is a safe place for me. There's nobody behind me. Yeah. I don't know. That's interesting. I, I, I mean, I, I totally I get it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a wild thing. We're flying through the air in the, the, this tube. This it's heavy like, piece of metal. Yeah, it's really wild. It's magical. It's, it's, it's absolutely miraculous. And we have to do it, for, especially for what we do. Yeah. It's like part of our everyday. So it's like. It's wild. Well, thank you for coming back on and saying that too. Yeah, well, I'm proud of you. I'm glad you're going to therapy. It's so fun. I love therapy. I know. I have so many issues with like my dad passing at three years old. I talked about this podcast a hundred times. Then I had this girl in here named Jessica Alexander. Shout out to her. She's a Nike SB strength and conditioning coach. And she told me about her life, which is a really heavy podcast. It's not out yet. And it just, I connected with her and she told me about therapy and what it did for her. And I went to see her therapist who is incredible. Hmm. And it just... I've never done, nobody in my family has ever gotten therapy. And if they're listening, I love you guys. And they all reached out to me and told me that, told me that I might have inspired them to go as That's well. That's so great. Because we had no closure after my dad died. Yeah. And um, yeah, I've been, I've, been, I've been an emotional wreck since that. And I feel like once I became a dad, not having a dad, that triggered something. Yeah. And so I just want to talk about it. I want to get deep into my mind and see where all this is coming from. It's awesome. And I'm 52 and it's like, it's a big deal for me. And I didn't tell my wife or my son to after... I had the consultation. I said, I'm doing this. They were totally shocked. And like, <laughs> it's it's a big deal because it's been talked about throughout my yep. my marriage for 26 years with my wife and even with my family. So yeah, I think, I think it's, awesome. it's really important. That's awesome. I think it's so great that you're talking about it publicly. It's awesome. Yeah. It's I, like, I, we, I totally understand. Even my partner, like she just grew up in a household where nobody did therapy and she thought it was so, like I was always like, therapy, therapy, therapy. It's so cool. It's so cool. And now, like couples therapist, she yeah. has her therapist. She's just like, this is so awesome. You started young? Yeah, well, my mom's a therapist. Oh, that's right. I should know that from the show. Yeah. Therapist psychologist. That's yeah. right. That's so right. we went after my parents got divorced, and then fuck we went up. when we... No, you didn't fuck up. It's fine. What's in my notes? Okay, go ahead. You did great. You know more about me than <laughs> most people now. So, so you no, started but, young. But, but okay, I'm, I'm yeah. a big fan of it. I'm a big yeah. fan of it. It's really helpful, and it's good to go when you're not in crisis. That's one thing I talk about with people all the time. Like, I often only want to go when I'm in crisis, and it's like, 
no go go now build yeah. this build the skills now so when you are in crisis you have skills <laughs> i'm not i'm not in crisis either i'm just doing it to do it because like i said she inspired me now i'm, I'm in a great place in my life but i just want to go it's perfect and my only fear is like what if they dig something up that no my mind blocked out that i works. didn't want to see and don't now worry I see about it, it. I'm like, oh my god no oh, okay so yeah that doesn't that's what these guys are worried about. But I, I know, I know I'm perfect, but I'm just kidding. Um, no, look, look, it's good. And if you uncover something like that, you'll release it into the world and it'll be great. It's, it's better only to gonna come make out that a, anyway. It's going to make me a, uh, hopefully a better human by knowing any kind of things I have. I don't know. I, th- do. I think it's, it can be, with the right person, it can be really amazing. It can be really amazing. I went, when my partner and I started seeing a therapist, I went because we were having like, I had so much anxiety about our dog. It sounds like such a silly reason, but within five minutes, it wasn't about the dog. You know, our therapist was just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You invited a third into your relationship. True. You, you, now your relationship isn't about the two of you anymore. Now you're having to renegotiate all of the terms. And like, you know, we just started diving into this whole thing. Like just the way that like he helped us to reframe, like I have like an intense family and a job and an identical twin sister and like all these things. And it's like, it doesn't matter how much therapy you do you can always find new things and you can always, yeah. I don't know. It's just, it's really cool. Like we leave and we're like, God, that was great. And also like they're on your side. I know. And that's cool. They don't know nothing about me until I tell them everything. It's amazing. And it's like, not just, it's like talking to a wall and just get everything out. Yeah. Love it. Well, I want you Good to come you. back. I want you to come back for a part two someday because Can't wait. I love talking to you. I could talk to you for hours. <laughs> we have to get to the airport. My friend Chappelle and I are going to take I know. My now. jaw's tired. But anytime you're in LA, I'd love to have you. This okay. is great. I appreciate this that This is so great much. reconnecting with you. Yeah. Thank you for welcoming me to your home and onto your podcast. I appreciate it very much. Okay. We're, we're not coming back on everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye. Yo, people always ask me what kind of frames I'm rocking. I've been rocking Caddis for a couple years. They make amazing progressive readers, which I wear. Also, they make sunglass readers, anti-glare, anti-smudge coating, anti-scratch, and anti-aging. That's why I look mad young when I wear them. I'm just kidding. Um, but they make amazing frames. Caddis, so stoked to have you guys part of the podcast. You can go to caddislife.com slash Toby10 and get $10 off your first purchase. Stoked. Thank you, Caddis. Welcome to the fam. Yo, yo, Liquid Death. Thank you so much for hydrating all my guests taking care of me and my family and my friends love your water love your brand love what you stand for love what you give back to the community if you want to learn more about liquid death and how it started listen to episode 115 with the co-founder owner and creator of liquid death mike cesario just a punk rock skateboarding kid from delaware with a dream it's an incredible story incredible journey they have now blessed me with my own code so if you go liquiddeath.com toby you get free shipping on any items you order from liquiddeath.com. Thank you so much, Liquid Death. Death to plastic, murder your thirst. Stay hydrated. You know H2O saves lives.